All righty, folks. Welcome back to another Out of the Rough Golf Podcast. We got the mainstays here. We got myself, Kid, and Ryan. Happy to bring you guys another podcast for one of our favorite tournaments or events of the year or of every other year, um, the Ryder Cup. Um, this past one, this past weekend was at Marco Simone in Rome, Italy, um, overseas. Um, so it was an away game for the U S and once again, per, per Ryder cup fashion, it did not disappoint, albeit that the result wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but with the way things started off, we did get some good, uh, you know, good competition, lots of good matches, the excitement that the Ryder Cup always brings. And, you know, overall, thoroughly entertained. Um, there is something about, you know, either watching in the wee hours of the morning or, you know, waking up early, whatever way you choose to watch it, whether you record it and watch it. There's something about a Ryder Cup overseas and having to figure out how you're going to watch it that I just enjoy for some reason. Um, it makes me feel a little more invested. I don't know why, but when I'm sitting in the living room and it's pitch black and it's like three 30 in the morning and I'm just watching golf like a fucking lunatic. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I enjoy it quite a bit. And, uh, the Ryder cup is my favorite event. So, um, had a blast really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I was happy with the event in terms of entertainment value. I, I think at the end of the day, because of just the way it's structured and the U.S. versus Europe kind of team format makes it kind of hard for it not to be exciting because you can get yourself fired up for pretty much any scenario. I mean, we'll get into each kind of day and session, but I mean, Sunday, it, like for all intents and purposes, it wasn't close. And yet I was just constantly building a string of possibilities and things to fall in different places to convince myself, like it's going to happen. We're going to make this work. Everything's going to fall in place. And so that's like the entertainment, entertainment value, just giving yourself this sort of like one, a million chance of things happening to, to make it pan out for yourself. So it's a, it's a great event. I'm, I get up for it too, the same way that you get fired up for it, Dave. And yeah, the cool thing about it being overseas too, is that, I mean, you were coming back late from work and you're watching early in the morning, but for me, I was just waking up at, you know, five in the morning and thank goodness that it was overseas because I was able to <clears throat> power through the majority of the commercials. And there were a lot of fucking commercials to power through. Um, it, I can't, believe how often I was hitting that fast forward button to get myself caught up. And it, even though I watched every, literally almost every single shot of this Ryder cup from every single player, um, I still probably only saw 55% of the shots that were hit at the Ryder cup, if not less, which is just nuts in, in, in and of itself. How was, how was yeah. your viewing experience, Ryan? It was fun. I like you got up around like five 30 and, and threw it on. And it, it does like, there's something about like your alarm goes off at 530 and it's like, oh, it's kind of Christmas morning. I got Ryder Cup to watch. This is going to be awesome. But then an hour later, I'm in a bad mood as we're getting thumped and all you can hear is the clicking of the Apple remote as I'm trying to fast forward through commercials 30 seconds at a time. Um, but I had a blast with it, man. It's always fun. It uh, it definitely didn't pan out the way we wanted to, but it, it's still such a good event. So, so glad we got to do it. And it, it is different when it's overseas and you get to totally change your schedule around it. It's definitely a good time. 
Before we get into the full nitty gritty of it, just general thoughts on Marcus Simone as a course and just what kind of venue it was for the entertainment value and the the kind of golf that we see. Well, you know, what do you guys think? Um, I thought it was a great Ryder Cup venue. Um, I think those last several holes are a good finishing stretch um, with the drive par four 18, you know, brought a lot of, you know, when when matches came down to 18, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of clutch putts, lots of, you know, shanked balls and not rising to the occasion and hitting the shots that needed to happen. Um, so I, I think that finishing stretch was really good. Um, a couple drivable par fours, not on that stretch, but in general on the course. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, um, I, I, uh, I think it served to be a good Ryder cup venue. I think, uh, obviously it, it does the European crowd generally brings the vibes when it comes to, you know, the Ryder cups. Um, and you know, there was quite a bit of, uh, celebrations and, I'm sure stuff we'll get into, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I thought it was great. I, I enjoyed the, uh, the, uh, venue. Yeah. I think, you know, 16 in particular was a massive standout hole. I think it was, it's well-placed in terms of it. it's a cauldron of people in terms of like the amphitheater nature of it. It's a travel par four with an elevated tee box to a recessed kind of crescent green with water protecting short, right. Which is where a lot of people miss. And it's usually right around that hole that matches are likely decided. So it has that entertainment value and, yeah, it's a, a really remarkable hole that you feel like everyone should be making the same decision on it. And then when you see them not, um, sometimes the decision being made by not even the player. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the decisions being different is, you know, fascinating because it seems like, yeah, you hit driver if you can't hit their three wood there. And that's 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 really all you should be doing because it's match right. play and you're trying to fucking win your match in the Ryder Cup. But yeah, I thought the course was actually like really 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 good for i i think it's probably i think it was my favorite rider cup venue since no (laughs) (laughs) no um but it was like hazeltine in the way like it wasn't necessarily all about the course and it was a good viewing at least from what i heard and read it was a good viewing experience, whereas like whistling, there's a lot of holes that are on the water. So only half the hole can have stands. And yeah, you know, um, but I, I thought know. it presented I... a fair test, too. I liked that, that it didn't feel like totally skewed. Like it, it definitely asked you to do certain things and you couldn't miss in a lot of places, but it didn't seem like they made it all about the course and the setup. Like it was, it was fair and it still had its fun kind of punishment and quirks too. So I enjoyed that about it. Well, for me, I know kid brought this up. Like it was his favorite Ryder cup course since, well, I've really only been paying attention to Ryder cup since Hazeltine. So I would definitely say it's up there for me. I honestly do think I like whistling straights as a course better than this course. But as for for a Ryder Cup, I think this is a better course, if that makes sense. I think whistling has a little bit more punch to it just based on the PGA that was there. And like, I I think when I hear whistling, I still think of that whistling than I do the Ryder Cup whistling. But, you know, the. uh, I think just generally Marcus Simone just made for a better Ryder Cup 
viewing experience than I think whistling did in my mind in terms of the the golf that I saw being played. Like there to me, there was really only like a couple holes here and there at whistling that I was like, okay, th- yes, I'm fucking fired up for this hole for them to play. Where I feel like I was having that happen a bit more at Marco Simone for me. Um, whereas I don't know if I really had that feeling, especially when I feel like 18 didn't have really like much juice at all at whistling. When like 18 at Marco Simone had a lot of juice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's, let's just jump into it. Obviously we, we know the result, but I feel like we should kind of flow our way through the day. So should we kind of give context to the whole experience? Then we can kind of cap off on general sentiments and takeaways and, you know, we're going to have retrospectives and, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda kind of deals, but, you know, just getting right into it, fresh off the fucking boat, people heading over, getting their practice rounds in, people seem to be, you know, vibing. Everyone seems to be pretty happy with the course. I think that's going to be the case going forward for a lot of things as the European team and the American team continue to get similar and similar in terms of their games. I think the world's very different from, you know, like off Nessie and Allen Hazel team, where you had a European team of very different skill sets than the Americans. I mean, in a world where Hoygaard and Ludwig and these other folks are playing in the PGA tour against Americans, I think courses are generally going to be pretty set up fairly in the sense that their games are all very similar. But if you heard Azinger talking le- over and over and over, they're just killers from 220 to 175. And that's no where they, that's where I know they're going to beat them. And that's like all he was talking about over and over. And, uh, so apparently that's yeah, the deciding I would, factor. I would uh I would disagree with Zanger. I know that was what you're kind of saying. Like I I would take the Americans long irons over the Europeans for the most part. I would think, but this week kind of proved otherwise though, because all the par threes <laughs> over that distance they got fucking destroyed I, in terms I of get scoring. You, but I mean, obviously we're gonna go into all this, but uh, the Americans just didn't have it this week, and that was pretty glaringly obvious. You know, they really didn't come to play until. Saturday afternoon. Yeah. I think both things can be true to an extent, but um, so I I think the uh I think the main thing to jump into is obviously right off the boat at Marcus Simone, I'm sure the American team, despite having not played in five weeks and not all of them being in their best form, as Dave and I noted on the the pre-cap pod, that I don't, we didn't think anyone was at 100%. The only person we felt was even trending in the right direction was Homa coming into it, which pr- obviously proved to be a relatively apt observation. But I, I was certainly not bullish on their, their skill sets going into it. And the Europeans definitely felt like they were in form coming in firing. But the Americans still had their American confidence. They just came off a historic winning margin at Whistling Straits. You know, they thought that their talent, I think, alone was going to kind of carry the day. And Friday morning started and their talent did not carry the day. Not only did they not win a single match, they never even led a single match. And almost all of the matches were not even close. So they went 0-4. In foursomes at Marco Simone, I think just like how they went 0-4 in foursomes in, in Le Golf Nacional, um, I think their European foursomes record in the last couple of decades is something like 3-12-1 or something like that crazy, or like 3-12-3. Uh, it's disgustingly bad, and uh, something needs to change. But it seemed like... We couldn't figure out our form. We couldn't get our rhythm. None of us could even sniff winning the first hole, which is a huge momentum setter in an opening Ryder Cup. And just to kind well, of I mean, go through those, to go through those quick about... pair. Oh, okay, go for it. Sorry. 
to, uh, to quickly go through those, you know, morning pairings, you know, first off we had uh, John Rahm and Tyrrell Hatton going against Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns. And then we had Victor Hovland, Ludwig Aubert, and Max Home on Brian Harmon. Then we had Shane Lowry and Sepp Straka, the septic tank against Ricky Fowler and Colin Morikawa. And then closing out in the last match in the morning was Roy McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood versus Xander Schauffele and Patrick Cantlay. Um, they, no one made it to 18 and there was two matches, one, four, and three. Um, what's y'all's thoughts on Friday morning? I mean, you were talking about setting the tone a minute ago. That's where I kind of cut in for a minute or a second. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I came home from work and started watching this live immediately. And talking about a tone center, first hole of the tournament, John Rahm is short of the green, goes for his chip, and then almost chips in, like nearly chips in, like lips out. And it's like, oh, my God, fuck. All right, we we dodged a bullet. There. <laughs> we dodged a bullet, and but he seems like, you know, this is going to be a tough match. So they leave the green. Then Victor Hovland and Ludwig get up to the fucking green and Ludwig kind of pulls it or pushes his approach shot. It's, you know, uh, on the green or on the fringe and, you know, I don't know, 45, 50 feet away or something crazy. And Victor Hovland, the guy who has had his chipping, you know, issues in his time, um, who has become much more confident instead of putting it decides to chip it. And the guy goes and chips in on the first green of the Ryder cup in the second match. And you're just like, fuck Rom- bullet, not dodged yeah. bullet through yeah. the fucking cranium. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Straight it's to the like in my head, I was just like, fuck man, Rom, we just got away from that. And then Hovland goes and does what you were glad Rom didn't. And it's just like, wow. I think as early on as that, I was just like, okay, this is going to be a long Ranger Cup or a long Ryder Cup. Like we, it's it, this isn't going to be whistling straights. This is over in Europe. The guys are feeling it, and it just seemed like it was going to be a long, a long session for sure. After and you I know, think to twenty minutes in, to, yeah, to multiply that, I think we missed the fairway with both of our approach. Like we looked rusty. And they came out hot and it was just like, oh shit, these might be two juggernauts and this might be really tough. Um, You got that sensation pretty quickly that I was like, ooh, that those are two bad motherfuckers in Rom and Javi and watch out. Yeah. And I mean, they, uh, all things considered, uh, you know, it, there's so much we have to break down and stuff with all this, but Europe did a great job pairing up their guys. I think each of their pairings complemented sure. each other well. I think it, you know, there might be a couple that you could, you know, be like, I, I don't know, but for the most part, I think they did a great job. I think Rom and Terrell complemented each other well in alt shot. I think the same thing for Victor and Ludwig. Victor's just on such a, a, a heater right now to where he could have probably been paired up with anyone and they would have done well for sure. Um, and then, you know, they threw Lowry and Sep out there together, which, you know, looking at the pairings, you were kind of thinking like, or at least I was thinking like, okay, that's going to be our point. Like Rick and Colin should be able to get that done. 
Yeah, um, emphasis on should, because this is the one where that had the most bogeys during the session, had the biggest opportunities to to win in the session, and could could not get it done against fucking Lowry and Sepp Straka. We're talking about Kyle Morikawa, right. who should be the fifth best player in the world, considered the best ball striker currently playing in golf. And they lost to like world number 55 and world number like 40. And never really had any juice in that match either. I mean, obviously nobody had any juice in that round, but like. Well, I mean, say what you will about Rick. Like, I know he didn't play his best there, but he was the guy carrying that that group that morning around. No question. Um, yeah. I, I mean, is carry, is carry really the term when you're minus one and a half stroke, stroke gain? I get column was minus two, but like they, neither of them were playing well. Yeah. That's what the problem is, is when you've got one guy's carrying somebody, but he also got shot in the leg. Uh, he's not doing a great job. Like we're just getting by. Um, it is now a fair time to talk about, is there anything y'all would have done differently if you're ZJ in this situation as far as the first eight dudes that see the golf course and how they pair up? I think you're going to get mean, the same answer from Dave over and over and over during this podcast. Uh, he's going to say, yes, I would have done things like I think a lot of people would have done things differently than ZJ. Um I think if we're just just focusing on foursomes and to your point, the eight Americans that are out there, I I don't have a huge problem, obviously, with Xander and Cantley as you're like going out in the morning, sure. give him their track record. I don't honestly hate the Ricky and Morikawa pairing. I, I don't think that's a, that's bad. I don't think I would have put out Ricky and Brian Harmon. And yet that turned out to be one of the most productive pairings for the U.S. The U.S. team. You mean in Max, Ryder. And, you mean Max? Yeah, and sorry. Brian Max, Max yeah. and Harmon. Um, I don't know if I would have sent them out, and yet that turned out to be like one of the closer matches. I actually won a couple holes against uh Victor and Ludwig. But not in this, not in this morning foursomes. But right, Harmon really they, struggled, and yeah, they won. They won the third hole and fourth hole. They got it to all square after on the fifth hole. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying they lost four and three. Like they didn't really get it done at all. Like I hear Ricky, Ricky, saying. and Ricky and Colin did better than them in terms of how far they pushed it but they the they uh, also won for brian brian won four holes and they and max and brian only won two you gotta look at the strokes though my man like they're playing a different team like the like i get that i'm just saying like max was minus 0.7 strokes gained i'm sorry 0.4 strokes gained for the morning and Ricky is one and a half and Morikawa minus four, minus two. Like they weren't playing nearly as well as Homa or Harmon. Well, Harmon kind I of mean, sandwiched between Rick, the two. Rick played better than than Harmon, but uh, you know this. You know, Kid and I were talking yesterday. Obviously, these strokes gained are skewed to a degree because it's <laughs> alt shot and it's pairings and stuff like that. Right. But. I mean, Homa, Homa played unbelievable. Like he was the yeah. sole American that, you know, played to what he needed to, if not better. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I going like before they started, I was fine with the Xander can't pairing. I was optimistic about the Ricky Colin pairing. That's not who I would have paired Ricky Ricky up with, but I convinced myself beforehand that I liked it. 
Um, I was not really cool with the Max Homa, Brian Harmon pairing, and I wasn't cool with the Scotty Sam Burns pairing. Yeah, but. I think if you told me like you're setting the pairings and, I, and I'm trying to be as honest with myself as possible before I've seen the retrospective results, I would have not put Scheffler and Burns out together, but Scheffler would have been out there and I probably would have put someone like Max with Scheffler. I would have put some like I would have put maybe even Brian Harmon with Scheffler, someone who was going to be a good putter to offset Scotty's terrible putter. That's like so- that's what I was thinking too. I I ha- I was thinking Scheffler and, and uh Harmon seemed like a match made in heaven considering Scotty's been just unreal T to green and Harmon, you know, should be rolling the rock well. And it seemed like it took Harmon a day or so to get the feel for the greens because after after Friday it seemed like Saturday on Harmon was had the speed of the greens better and he was putting better but that could just be and, my and eyes I, deceiving me but and I get that and Sam Burns is a good putter and he was leading the U.S. team in putting after the the first day but he was a liability approach and off the tee with Scotty during those morning foursomes and. Homer Har- Harmon didn't really help too much Friday morning either. But I think if you had told me to set the pairings beforehand, I'm like, Scotty is so good with his long irons. He's one of the best approach players in the fucking world. If Harmon has him 40 yards behind Rom, who cares? He's going to get it just as close. And that's going to be him hitting the ball first, which is like what made Ian Poulter so menacing in match plays because you had to watch him stick it. And then you had to go and under pressure, get it close too. So I think it could have honestly worked out. So I think I would have done... Scheffler and Harmon, I would have left Xander and Cantlay. And I, I think, you know, it's something that's been popularly said online, but, you know, I was hoping that JT was going to show up and bring his fucking A game. And I'm like, if he's the heart and soul of your fucking, your team, and he's your emotional leader, like you send him out JT and, and four sums. Yeah, JT and Homa, or, you know, I would have been okay with JT and Brooks going out there or something like that. Like, like put out some a two-time major winner and a five-time major winner, like try to fucking intimidate some dudes. Like those dudes are really competitive with one another. And obviously we know what happened with Brooks later in this, this Ryder Ryder cup, but I I would have taken a more, I would say aggressive approach with my pairings than what seemed to be like placating friendships a little bit. It just seems like the same thing. Yeah. It just seems like with the Ryder cup, it's so important to get points on the board early and first. So you have that momentum and what better way to do that with, you know, putting all your, your, you know, heavy artillery out, you know, whereas I feel like they kind of played it kind of safe in their eyes Dude, to a all, degree. All, all, of the eight people out there for the Americans, only three of them were qualified on points. One of which, because they won a major, like, yeah, right. Talk about like leading with like, not your firepower. Like, and two, two of them are together with Shoffley uh, and, uh, and can't lay. Can't lay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm wrong. I'm wrong about that because Brian Harmon and uh, Homa are also in on points. I completely forgot about Xander. So okay, so yeah. it, it was it was five and three actually. My bad. Oh, so Scott, okay, there was more qualified on points. That was a miss. Yeah, but I don't really count Harmon with that. They weigh majors way too much for this thing. But yeah, I mean, um, well, that's how Brooks got. Yeah, um, Brooks was a pick. The two guys, right? But he got so many points that he was like seventh in points because yeah. of his one major. But he was the two. If I could have had two guys, I wanted to see Brooks and I wanted to see JT, and not necessarily as a pairing, but those were the two guys that are like, y'all, we're starting off the Ryder Cup and we're gonna have Brian Harmon out there and not Brooks, who we think is this bad motherfucker. And like you said, we know how it. My feelings on Brooks 
devolved quickly throughout the weekend, but I still thought we got to get this dude out here. That's who I want in a playing against Rom or Javi, who's going to go pound for pound. So I also like, I've been saying it all week. Like I think Ricky and JT would have been a good pairing. Like, yeah, no question. They're, you know, they should have a similar buddy, buddy as Spieth and JT. Like I get, that it's not the same but at the same time they're in the same group of friends i think it could could have been fine but at the at the end of the day and this i think will be a recurring theme on this podcast talking about this Ryder cup but i don't think any configuration of players that we are going to send out there as much as it might change vibe or change slightly the game that they're matching up of the top half players in in foursomes the eight of the 16 that were out there seven of which were European players in strokes gained. And I get that strokes gained, they're a little bit wonky with this, but the only one with positive strokes gained for the fourth best player on the field, you know, on the course that morning was Xander Shoffley with plus 1.5% or 1.1.5 strokes gained. And the top three was Europe's top three. There are three big dogs who showed up for them uh, at this Ryder Cup, which will be kind of the theme is that Rom, Hovland, and Rory showed up at this Ryder Cup every fucking session and grinded, and they were able to do it without one another on each team, and they would carry a rookie with them or someone who was just kind of figuring their stuff out, and like they just got it done, whether it was Ludwig with Victor. Could, I think you could say the same thing with uh, Fleetwood and Hatton, too. I think Fleetwood and Hatton showed up big time. Um yeah, dude, and... Fleetwood's a European monster, dude. Like he went, what was it, four zero and one or four and one in uh, Paris, and then you know he destroyed yeah. in the group session with Molinari. Like, and then I get that he hasn't played in America in a Ryder Cup, so we'll see what happens with him. But he's a stud at the Ryder Cup, man. He 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 shows up for it. Yeah, I think sure. I think like you like you mentioned, like Rom Hovland and Rory all showed up for their team, and then they had guys like Fleetwood, Hatton, um. And, you know, and Ludwig, you know, yeah, I that, mean, Ludwig, Ludwig was certainly a, a strong support, you know, component for Javi. Like Javi didn't have to do everything. I think yeah, he, and he certainly did have his Ludwig did have his moments where, you know, yeah. being a rookie and stuff shown through. But as a whole, I think he did, you know, insanely well. I mean, here's the deal. It's like they said it a thousand times on the broadcast, but he was a college golfer 60, 70 days ago. And he has never played in a major. He's never been under pressure like this before. And he rose to the moment and played well versus someone like Nikolai Hogard, which was he was a rookie as well, has already played a full year on professional tour, if not longer than that, maybe a couple of years. And yet, like, didn't quite perform in the same way. I get that he didn't have a pairing like, with Victor consistently didn't get as many chances out there, but he was with Rom and like he was playing fucking lights out in that four ball. So, and look, Hoygaard scored, I think eight birdies in that session. So like nothing against Hoygaard's performance. It was admirable as a rookie, but I think Lud- what Ludwig did as a rookie is like commendable. He, he I mean, did what Hoy- Hoygaard went, Hoygaard sure. went oh two and one. Like it wasn't anywhere near the showing that Ludwig had, but he played well in the four ball with Rom. That's pretty much what he did well. Aside from that, it was kind of, you know, lackluster. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. Um, But at the end of the day, like that's almost a good resume for the Americans right now. (laughs) 
going out of there yeah, like no oh, two and one. <laughs> it's like, hey, you but, got a tie. That's really all we needed from you. All right, but moving on to uh, Friday four balls. Our back were our backs were against the wall. We were almost starting off just like Paris. It felt like the time is now. We have to get so- something done. Like we can't just go out here and, and lay an egg in foursomes. And for a little bit of a stretch there, it looked like we were going to scrape away with two points, maybe two and a half points, maybe three points if we got really lucky. And uh, Europe in the last three holes and just seemed to flip it over and over and over and over again. And they just took all the momentum, all the oxygen out of the room for the Americans and just pulled off some miraculous shit out there. I mean, Hovland putting it in from off the green on 18. The spirit of Seve can conduit through Hoygarden to Rom to just bank it off of the backboard and drain Hayes to push his match too. <laughs> and then with the Max Homa miss and the big Justin Rose putt to half it, like three incredible things closing things off in uh in the afternoon there to just Getting seal the deal flipping those matches from a point for the u.s to a tie so each group get or each each group as if they never happened point. you know yeah yeah exactly all and that they work were all just daggers it uh but, that you know that was really hard to watch you know, like and the, it, over and over, you kept thinking you eke out two and a half points. This is not all for for not. We are still in this thing. And After for me, each one of those felt was brutal. And for me, like this is this session at the end of this session is the the day or the moment rather that I was starting to be like, okay, so we're going to sit Spieth tomorrow in the morning. I can see sending JT out. Um, he kind of carried Spieth. He is doing his thing. That why he was brought onto the American team. A lot of the reason, you know, he was that was the closest the guys, one, right? That was the one that was, was most of, likely to to win for the Americans, and it still flipped. But that was when we're like, okay, at least JT and Spieth have got this point. Like they're up, I think, like two with two to play or three with three to play, and it just fucking crumbled on them. They were up. They were up. One with four to play. Yeah, at one point there were there were two up with with uh, there were two up with five to play at one point. I was gonna yeah. say they were up two going into fifteen or something like that. Up, they were started. they were up two going going into and, fourteen. Yeah, yeah. That, but that was when Spieth stopped playing altogether. Well, <laughs> was it but, but my point is like this is where I was thinking like anyone with a brain is like okay i can see sending jt out tomorrow in foursomes like he's being the guy that they you know why they why they picked him as a captain's pick like he is showing that he's invested when he's making good shots he's celebrating one of the only guys that you know was seemed like he was invested in it you know and wanted to win this thing even when they're you know getting curb stomped and uh so I thought that would be justifiable, but yeah, I mean, we'll go more. That, into did, it, that but... didn't happen, but the main thing, the, yeah. like the, the, the important thing being is that like JT seemed like one of the few things of signs of life to bring into the next morning. And the crazy thing was, is it wasn't even really that good a play from JT. That's how low the bar was from the Americans this first day. I mean, I think it was yeah. more just the grit that he showed, like how bad Jordan was playing and he was still there. Like, making it possible like yeah like 
back against was, the wall, like yeah. still trying to make it happen. It was two no on one for a while. It was two on one for a while. And he was going up against Victor Hovland and Tyrrell Hatton, who both had great performances at this, at this Ryder cup. I mean, I mean, I just, it's inexcusable like for, for some of these things to happen. Like, I just, I don't know how you lose to big, big Bob McIntyre and Justin Rose like or at least push it with Max Homa and Wyndham Clark. Like how, how do you do that? Like you're you you're two of the top 10 best players in the world and you're losing to a guy who's 43 years old and a guy who plays exclusively on the DP World Tour and is like 55 or 60 in the world. Like how how is this happening? How are we doing this right now? And like the story will be Justin Rose was putting from fucking everywhere, but that's still at the end of the day like not everything. Well, Justin Rose had three birdies in the last four holes. Like he he's the reason they flipped that match. Um, and, you know, Wyndham Clark had five birdies on that in that round. And that was one of the guys I was high on for putting out there in foursomes in yeah. the morning. And that that obviously didn't happen as well. But what I, I'm hearing, I, though, is that two guys lost to one guy in the last. Like three holes, because not a single hole was won by Big Shot Bob, not a single hole was won by Big Shot Bob. Yeah, I mean, Justin Rose did what JT couldn't, right? JT had a putt on 17 to make a birdie from like seven feet that he missed. If he makes that putt, that match doesn't flip. And Rose just made all the putts on those last three holes to to close it out and take care of business. So, you know, it was tough. Yeah, so I, it it's tough to see all of them flip. But at the same time, like we had no business even being in a position where it should have been flipped in that one. Like we still weren't playing well. No one was really playing that well today. All right. From the American side. I mean, Scheffler was playing well in the afternoon. I'll say that much. He he was playing well in the afternoon. He carried Brooks in the front nine. Brooks sort of showed up in the last like four or so holes. Brooks birdied 15. That's all he did, really. Well, he pushed two holes before that with Scotty being in his pocket for one of them and then bogey in the other one. Yeah. This right here, too, was a time where I noticed a trend that I think continued throughout the weekend, which was inexplicable to me, which was all of the European guys made these crazy shots at the end and did things to push matches because they knew it was match play and they got the ball to the hole on big putts. I felt like we constantly left putts short and didn't get the ball to the hole in situations where you just have to do it. I thought the Europeans I, did a better I job really of that, think that the entire weekend. I really, I really think a lot of that has to do with the speeds of the greens. Like the Europeans can adjust quickly to the slower greens. And I feel like the Americans just don't get it there. They like fall back to the faster green feeling. And obviously they know they're slower, but they just can't trust it. And I think the Europeans just do. And I get like, you have a putt, like you need to get it to the hole, but I, I don't know. I, I think that plays a lot into it, honestly, but that's just my opinion. Just because the Europeans play more slow greens as a whole is what but, you're saying? Uh, uh, well, that and just like their upbringing, playing those greens, you know, through youth youth golf and stuff, because a lot of these guys are playing week in, week out on the PGA Tour, you know, so I'm not going right. to say like they play the greens, the slower greens way more. Yes, yeah, some of them do, 
but uh, a lot of them don't. But I think that they can make that adjustment a lot easier and better and faster than the Americans do. I mean, I, I, they did, I guess. I, I just I didn't think that that would be something. It seems like the, these guys should be able to adjust on the fly because they weren't even close on a lot of them. But I don't know. I was just a trend I noticed. Yeah. Kid, you're another mind. another uh, another trend I was noticing out there is just that we couldn't seem to really play the 18th hole very well, uh, whether it was getting hitting our putts in or if it was, you know, not shanking it. That afternoon, we had Wyndham Clark dead shank it uh, into the the fescue near the stands, if not into the stands. Like that guy I mean, can't I seem to figure out how to play 18th holes very well. I think it's safe to say that Wyndham Clark, when it's a very heavy moment when things are on the line and he has to pull a shot off, he obviously is in his head too much and a more i don't know i don't want to say more often than not but when i've been watching important golf it seems like he does not hit the shot that he needs to and you know there was a bunch of controversy on the 18th hole of the u.s open where if that fairway was narrow narrower he probably wouldn't be the u.s open champion right now but it was thankfully for him but uh that was on full display you know this week at marco simone um he had a at several occasions where he needed to pull off a shot and not uh, some of them, not that crazy of a shot, just, you know, no, get no some, he, he, he murdered his drives. He murdered his drives in that hole and like had the easiest approach out of all the guys and hit the worst shots. I've seen enough sample size from yeah. Wyndham. Uh, he, he, he's, he's trash on the 18th hole, the last hole of the day. Just, he's, <laughs> I think any shot of consequence, any shot that's important, like when there's that well, pressure on, 14 but. at the US Open LACC on Sunday, that three wood was fucking insane. So he can hit some big boy yeah. shots, but on the yeah, 18th it's hole, little, it's a little different though. It's stroke play, 14th hole. You still got a lot of golf left. Match play is a little different. Like it's hole by hole. You know, I got to hit this shot to win this hole or get us back in. This is different than like I got, you know, several holes to play. You know, a stroke, one stroke isn't the worst thing that can happen. I think it's a little different mindset. But Look, I'll be first I in line it. to talk shit on Wyndham Clark, but I'm just saying, like, the, the, he he <laughs> he he, was, he stepped up in different opportunities when the pressure was high at LACC. But I I think when it comes down to stepping up and closing out a victory, like clearly he has a problem doing it. He was bailed out at LACC, and he's that. He, he... That said, uh, that said, I think he played well enough this session on Friday afternoon to, to get a call merit, back. merit him coming in on four ball, but I, or in foursomes, you mean? Yeah. Four sums, like, sorry to come like, yeah, for the next day. I agree. I would have put, yeah. I would have put Wyndham out the next morning, um, sure. which he, he didn't. Um, although he, he gave me reason later that following afternoon for me to be like, get the fuck out of here. Um, but yeah, you can only go off of what you saw and like, yeah, yeah, we, we, and the, sure the same thing with JT, it, right? But... Like we, we, what we saw this afternoon was like send JT out and foursomes. Fuck it, send him and Wyndham out. I, I, I don't care. But like what we ended up doing <laughs> the following foursomes again was inexplicable. But the, I think we can't leave this afternoon without pointing out that Colin Morikawa was in his pocket the first four holes of of their match this in the afternoon in four ball, like gave Xander no help. Albeit Xander played even worse than him this afternoon, but at least Xander like pushed a hole and was trying 
Nothing was going to beat Fitzpatrick in those first nine holes. He birdied and eagled his first six of his first seven holes. And then Rory birdied the seventh hole. <laughs> so, right. or so like they were, they were fine, <laughs> but th- I mean, they won five and three. So they, they both just fucking ham and egg didn't just obliterate them, but they both played terribly. Like call more at this point was a massive disappointment. Yeah. And who knows how it plays out when you're playing against dudes and it's like, all right, well, Colin's in his pocket. It does free you up as somebody. So like they probably gave Rory and Fitzpatrick some confidence to go at some stuff knowing like, okay, we're playing one dude right now. One of us just needs to hit a shot and we're going to make a birdie and win this hole. Um, In general, I thought that the Americans as a whole played the first hole like ungodly poorly when you're talking about 18. I I don't know how many balls balls were in the right rough off the first tee shot during this Ryder Cup for the Americans. It It was was so bad. It drove me nuts. Just hit a fucking three wood. Like if you want to play a cut, all of them could hit three wood with a cut right there. The thing is, like, I mean, they, they, Everyone was taking driver, so taking three wood off that tee is a disadvantage when everyone is taking driver because of the first tee yips, and it's a bigger club face. That's, like, what I constantly hear. So, like, if they're in the fairway with the driver and you hit three wood even in the fairway, you're at a disadvantage. Um, So I understand the driver play. What I don't understand is that, like, these guys weren't hitting cuts for them. They were hitting slices for these guys. Like they, they just weren't hitting good or just, or just butter cuts for Wyndham. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Wyndham's butter cut. But I I think Rob hit three wood every time on one. No. And obviously I specifically remember an insane driver off the first tee where he cut the corner almost. He got like past the tongue. He he fucking just had recoil beyond belief. Like might've been the, highest club head speed he hit all fucking week out there uh, he God. hit one on four he hit one on 14 on i want to say saturday in four ball or no he didn't play saturday four ball or fa- saturday foursomes that was fucking nuclear i was like holy shit that was insane i think rom just like in those situations like on the first tee at the router cup i think he just lets loose on it does i mean than... th- that's the benefit what the first tee does for europeans and what the disadvantage does for americans at the end of the day all of them are slicing that first tee at, be- because of what's around them like if there was no atmosphere yeah. if that wasn't going on like they weren't all missing it like that at, that that's part of ho- home field advantage to be fair there were like there were a lot of missed tee balls in general on the first tee whether it was right or left in front of that bunker um but yeah i, I you know, it was a big advantage uh, to be in the fairway on that hole. Um, but but Luke, Luke Dunn was also talking about with their practice rounds when they were prepping in the DP World Tour events ahead of it. And when they're at Marcus and Money doing their practice rounds, he was. <clears throat> Sorry, give me a second. Oh, my God. <laughs> he was making oh, his pairings playing each other uh, in just three hole matches. So they would like simulate the feeling of like having to get up leads early or you're losing. So you would make them simulate three whole matches that like you have to win the first one. You have to win the first one just to condition their brain to get off to fast starts to build momentum. And I think I don't know how they 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 create the synthetic pressure, but it, it apparently worked because 
they clearly were forcing the initiative on the first hole more so than any other hole because they knew how important it was to get off to uh, a good start and getting momentum. And it worked. It like clearly it worked. Doesn't that just seem so fucking like painfully obvious though? That like why has it, that shouldn't be a crazy brilliant plan by Luke Donald. Like that just seems like oh this is what we should do to practice match play golf in a foursome situation. Like it, it's crazy that that's revolutionary. I guess to me, like that it's, seems it, very. It's simple. Obvious. It's simple when you hear it, but when your default strategy as let's say a U.S. captain is like let the boys be boys, let it be like any other tour week. I don't want to make it seem like they're going out of their way to represent their country and and get this luxury of playing in the Ryder cup. Like I just want to make it easy for them so that they don't get pissed and pouty. And like, that's what he's dealing with. And then Luke Donald's like, I'm going to make this a special experience and get these boys galvanized and down to do anything to like get those micro advantages one day after another, just 1% better every day. Like that's the difference. It's a battle of attrition for Europeans. It's a expected coasting for Americans when it's not, we fucking crumble. Well, going off that a little bit, uh, there was a quote from Rose after uh, after the Ryder Cup was over in the press conference. I, I don't know it exactly, but it, the the gist of it was like we we don't set our pairings up for like for like playing with your buddy or anything like that. We set pairings up for the like bigger cause, the greater good and winning the Ryder Cup. And I think, I, and I, I talked about this a lot with you yesterday, kid. Like, I I think that 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 is a virus in the U.S. locker room, at least for a couple of few pairings. Like, JT and Spieth want to play together. Sam Burns and Scotty want to play together. Like, and it may not be the best call. And I'm sure we're going to go into that coming into this Saturday morning foursomes with JT and Spieth. But yeah, I think that, it is, you know, there was a lot of talk of the boys club for the U.S. side going into this and who was picked and why they were picked and what have you. But I think I think that is a little bit of an issue. Maybe it's too much of a boys club. And like these guys, regardless of if it's the right choice or the right move or not, want to be paired up with their buddy and want to be paired up with them to like extend their record or prove that they can do it with with the guy they want to do it with even though it might not be the best pairing for the situation at the time i think there's a couple reasons for it so i think the first one's obvious and you know jt and speed have said this multiple times in interviews is like they want to play with their friend because they want to have the best time they possibly can out there and have the most fun like have that like and if they win together that's an even better thing which is sort of like not the point the point yeah, is it's for like, your, it's like, do you want to have the best time ever? Or do you want to win the Ryder cup? Like, which well, you're one's uh, more right. important to you. And like, you're representing your country and you're like doing it also for the guys out there. Like you want to maximize your potential to win. And I'm sure they believe that their best potential to win is playing with each other, but like, that's not your call. And you're not the one to be making those calls. You should be using other things to support you, support your decision-making. And if you had a stronger, more data-driven and like, strategic captain and like set of vice captains, they wouldn't have come to that because what we've learned from Luke Donald and the Europeans is that what they did is they looked at the data, Dodo and others to dig through it. And then they looked at kind of the other aspects of the intangibles. They found out who were the best parents to put together. And then their goal was say, 
How do we make you comfortable to play together so you can maximize those on paper advantages versus Americans are like trying to find their comfort by like finding their friends and then making it work where the reverse is the Europeans are like, okay, what's going to work or how do we make you comfortable in that situation? It's they're taking a backwards approach with the Americans, which is counterintuitive. And I also think it's a little contradictory considering like there were comments from the American team, like this is the closest to like most gelled American team I've ever bet on and blah, blah, blah. And if that's the case, then why are you so worried about playing with your buddy? Like if you're homies and buddies with all the guys on the team, like you should be down to pay, play with whoever, you know, the funniest thing too, is it, I, I don't disagree that it, it, they, they might believe that's the closest team they've ever been on. And they might even be true, but I think that's probably a testament to how bad the American teams have been in terms of chemistry and camaraderie and the Europeans run circles around them in terms of just team unity and like truly just being like when they when Europeans say that I'll go 0 and 5 to win the Ryder Cup, I believe them when they say it. But if I heard Brooks say that, or if I heard Colin Morikawa say that, fuck, if I heard fucking Spee say that, I don't, I don't think, know if I would believe them. I don't think Brooks gives a fuck about his Ryder Cup record. I don't like after this week, I don't think he cares yeah. at all about the Ryder Cup. It's the only thing he cares about is being able to say he was on the Ryder Cup team that year. Okay, you're you're like, missing my point though. Like you're, no, you're getting. I know down the your track. point. I'm. I I I know what the point you're trying to make, and it's it's a valid point, and it makes sense. I'm just saying, as far as Brooks goes, like I don't think he cares. Like it, I did not get any, and it's for a lot of the American team, like the first day and a half, like I would have loved to see way more guys out there cheering on their, their fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That was embarrassing. That was embarrassing how little support in a hostile environment. Those American teammates had when the other boys were just sitting behind the scenes doing fucking nothing out there like that. That was a tough, tough scene. And it, and it, and a, a moment where you're behind pretty badly, like even seeing, I feel like seeing your teammates out there, like at least, you know, showing support and that may motivate you a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. I know for me it would, but I I don't know. It just, it's like, do you just not care that much? Like that's, that's what it seems like. Like, I don't know. It's how it felt. You're a hundred percent correct. And like, think about all of these matches that they had, even on Friday afternoon where it was like coming down to it. There's a bunch of boys that haven't even got to play yet that could have been out there supporting cheering. I don't know. I, I totally agree. It seems like none of them really give a shit. They're just there to have fun with their boys. And if they're dominating, it's awesome. I We're will get smoke cigars and later. Listen, and- I'm been been noted. Like I'm not the biggest JT supporter, but I, if there's any guy on that team that I think cares the most about the Ryder cup, it is JT. That doesn't mean I think he should have been on this team, but what it does say is that I think he wanted to be there the most and cared the most about it. So in I, retro- like, it, you know, I, I think if you were just looking at things in retrospect, he's not the first person I would have taken off this team now. Like, but I, I don't think he needed to be there. I, I think it, at the end of the day, there was more foundational problems with this American team, both in preparation and mindset and strategy that led to the loss here. Um, I think they needed to get everything right to have a chance. I was telling Dave in the pre-pod, I thought that they were the they were the underdogs in this. I thought Europeans were favored to win this in my eyes, and it was going to be a battle for the US. And and they didn't show they didn't show up and do the things I needed them to or wanted them to do to to pull it off. To circle back to your point around Brooks, though, a little bit just to kind of cap it off, 
the fact that like you don't think he cares about his Ryder Cup record, I think that's exactly what he wants people to think. Like, I don't think he wants people to like see him do what Scotty did. I don't think he wants people to see him crying or see him like care or be frustrated. Like, he wants to have the macho persona where like none of this matters. Like, I, I I'm I'm above it all. Like, I'm too cool for school. It's been his mo since the start. So like, we have no idea what he thinks. All I do know is that like he's out there for himself. Like that that much is for certain. Yeah. Um. So that's not the kind of like. There's you can't say that about a single person on the European team. And I feel like that's exactly who Cantley is. That's exactly who Xander is. It's exactly who Brooks is. I believe JT's there for the team. I think Speeth is there for the team. I for sure know Max is there for the team. I think Brian Harmon's there for the team. I I I, I think Scotty, probably Wyndham Scotty feels the same way. Scotty's Scott, crying yeah. after his round. Because yeah. he yeah, I was just like, saying, I was just saying JT cares the most. I agree. But my point is that like I, I just don't see a single, single personality on the European team that feels that way. I mean, and, and I get it's easy to seem happy and in unity when you're winning and you're up from the start. And like, that's easy to, you know, it's easy to talk shit when you're up, as Luka Doncic would say. But the the main thing being is that like, even when they lost in a humiliating fashion at Whistling Straits, Lowry was so proud to be on that team and he didn't want to miss a single one and like, I believe him when he says he'll go 0-5 and he wins Ryder yeah. Cup. That's all he cares about. Like, if he's there supporting I mean, Brian, his boys, and he's out there every fucking hole with them. Yeah, dude. Lowry is the epitome of it. He was out there fucking following groups, cheering on his teammates, getting the crowd pumped up. You know, yeah, he was on some greens, but as I stated to kid, that's part of the Ryder Cup. Like, that is part of it. And, I mean, we're going to get into the Cantlay, LaCava, Rory shit, I'm sure. But, like, that is part of the Ryder Cup, and fuck yeah Lowry being out there and getting like that is what it's about like you get these team events one time a year and the Ryder Cup is so much different than the President's Cup you get it twice a year and he's out there fucking getting the home crowd fucking pumped up and like I would have loved to see Americans more invested like as much as I hate Patrick Reed but like you know he just getting involved with the crowd, like wanting to shut them the fuck up. Like I'm going to make this chip like Max did fucking Burns did it in the afternoon in the four ball. Like he came out, like he he was doing it super early and it was making me a bit skittish about his chances to survive (laughs) in the afternoon, but at least he was going out there and doing it on Saturday and giving a fuck and, and trying to make a difference. Um, So like, but yeah, I would have liked to see more of that. Like I, I feel like, they I agree. It's should... also hard when you're getting your fucking dick kicked in and not winning holes in foursomes to like but have that attitude. At least for me, that would be my motivation. Like they're fucking cheering and booing us and like rooting for the Europeans. Like I want to hold this bunker shut out so I can shut them the fuck up and then go on to the next tee and fucking smack one down the middle and get another hole up and just have a quiet crowd. Like that would be, I don't know. That, yeah, I, I just I, I feel like there's a lack of that. Like, like when you're getting your ass beat that bad, like I feel like it should be more motivation to go out and fucking do what you have to do and play better and rise to the occasion and shut people up. I don't know. I just feel like that that was not the vibe that I got from most of the American squad, especially the first two days. I can't imagine it's easy it in the environment to, to 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 do that. I, I think they could have tried harder at it for sure. And I think some people come naturally to it. You know, I think well, Max and JT come naturally to it. 
Like, and that but, starts that starts with having your guys out there, and that's like yeah. the point we were making. Like, they weren't there. Having your at least like w- even one or two guys like following the group and be like, yeah, the other guys are at the other uh, the other pairing. Those first well. two like, days, the only players I saw doing that were Ricky and Mor- Morikawa. Those were the only dudes I saw out there that weren't like on seventeen or eighteen that were out there actually following and supporting and like getting in the mix with them. Like it, it was a. Uh, it was tough, dude. It was really tough to see. Um, it is also let's hard go. when you're. Go ahead. You're no, good. you're fine, Ryan. Go ahead. It's just it's also hard when the dude across from you keeps making birdies. Like it's one thing to get motivated by the crowd, and I I totally hear that. But when the dudes across from you are playing lights out, that adds another element where it's not just like, okay, I want to fight back at these fans making noise, but it's like, fuck, I dude, just... this guy cannot miss. I just don't agree with that. I know like what our golf we play and stuff is at such a small scale compared to the Ryder Club, like if not minuscule, unseeable. But like, I don't know when I'm playing matches, like even if it's like, okay, five holes to play and I'm dormy, I'm like, all right, we're going to fucking win these holes and we're going to fucking get this half point. Like, I I don't know. I, I just, I think, for a professional golfer like you should be able to reach in and find that motivation and like it's just like and i i can't say it for cantley because he did rise to the occasion many times this Ryder cup but like like all these rumors with shawfley not potentially being on the team because of like contract and making money and all like a week ahead of it too and like yeah. if you like if you don't if that's why you're here and you care about making money from this like don't be on the fucking team like that's just like I don't know and then the guys like acting like they're so fucking meshed and it's like you have a fucking homie on here that's like worried about making money you guys are all millionaires like certainly certainly not just one, here. certainly not just one of them too like that that duel yeah. can uh, they they went and did a practice trip beforehand like almost all of them only three people didn't make it on that trip to come and practice and it was cantley xander and speed because he had just had a second baby so he couldn't be there in rome for the the the, right. the scouting trip and practice but every everyone else was there including brooks and speed obviously had a fair excuse xander and cantley not so much and it's because like the hat had nothing to do with it, but they were, they're clearly in opposition to the way this is currently being run. And you can't pretend like that doesn't have an impact on the undercurrents of how the team operates. And they're clearly not there for the same reasons, everybody else. And I don't right. doubt that they try to be good teammates and what they think it, that requires. But I just think if you had other dudes that were more committed to the process, more involved, like I think it would have been different. Buying in, I think, weighs a lot more than talent. Like, I would rather have 12 dudes that are fully bought in than the higher world golf ranking, if given the choice. I mean, yeah, you see yeah, in every other fucking so get Gordon Sargent out there. I'm sure he would give a fuck, you know, like fucking, I don't know, man. Get, get, or, 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 yeah, there we go. There's the appropriate answer. Yeah. The guy who really fucking <laughs> want to be there, who said on record yeah. he would pay 10, he would have, he would have turned down $10 million to play in the, the, the Ryder Cup. 
Like yeah. I also think like there's no reason I don't I I want to give it credit to the person who said this, but I agree so full heartedly. It's one of the golf podcasts I listen to, but that Keegan should have been a vice captain. Like he wanted to be there. He wanted to be a part of the team. Like it was it was you, an LU. There was an LU. Yeah. If if you want to if you care so much about it and this guy wants to care like he should be happy to be a vice captain and show like initiative that he's willing to be there like it was actually your boy kbv that said it dave <laughs> well uh a surprisingly good take from that guy um but Yikes. yeah um I, I agree though i i i think keegan would have brought the energy i think he would have put aside any potential you know issues there might have been with the guys and at the end of the day this is the whole deal is that like i get the team chemistry is really important and i'm advocating for it but i think it's about all of you guys wanting the same thing and wanting at the same sort of level and his play earned him, himself on like for sure and i think you know i i said this to dave off off podcast because we it, the rider hub didn't happen yet but based on play I, I don't see a world where any of these guys are locks for this team. Like you can't, no one is a lock for this Ryder cup team anymore. Going forward. Not a single person. Like I think being bought in current form and Ryder cup record all have to be weighed into, into account. And no one's a lock. No one is above the process at this point. And we got to rebuild that, from the ground. What up. does that mean? Like in a world where like, okay, you have right now you have six captains picks and is it a better world if you have, or is it a better world where you have twelve just meritocracy, or is it a better world where you just have the three captains picks? How it's been for a lot, like a lot, a lot of the time prior to this. Um, it's hard because I wouldn't call the current Ryder Cup points a meritocracy, like with how people get qualified in on points. Yeah, I'm not saying current Ryder Cup points. I'm just saying like uh, you know, something more similar to strokes gained or something like that for the year. Um, sure. Uh, I also would say no, because I think like, I think people should be able to turn down being in the Ryder cup and that being completely fine by saying like, Oh, like, that's just not my thing. I I, I don't care about team golf. I'm not like body. Like I get that yeah, vibe not, from a lot of people. I, like I'm not I, saying that you can't turn no, it let, down. Let, let, you would just let, go to the next guy in line, but no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that like, there's too many things that are important to make you a valuable asset to it. Apart from just your play. I was saying that, Ryder Cup record is probably important, but it's not everything. Form is important, especially in like the nearest term. And I also think like your chemistry and your passion and your will, your your ability to put your ego aside. You know, I, I was going to bring this up at some point in the, in the, the podcast, well, but well, Rom sets uh, real quick, real quick. Okay. This is why I asked the question. Like we have six captain's picks right now. It was once three captain's picks. I brought up the 12 spot meritocracy idea. Like, what is the answer? Is the six like, is it stick with six and just be more stringent and at, at how you pick the people or? Um, I so I would say if I could trust the captain and I believe they had the right intentions and believed in both taking into account fair, strong form and all these different indicators, I'd say fuck it, make it twelve captains picks. But I also understand that like it's best to give people a carrot as like. If you just play outstanding golf, you'll be on the Ryder Cup team. Like, and that's a cool thing to be able to say is that like at the end of the day, like anyone can earn themselves on the Ryder Cup team. It's not a, an exclusive 
boys club, but you know, by system, like that's an important thing to also be able to say. I think the Ryder Cup points system as it currently is, 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 is broken, but this is still missing the point of the whole thing. All I'm saying is that like, if I were making captain's picks, I think there are three clear things to focus on. And I think we outweighed too many of those things in different circumstances. And I think after this Ryder Cup, no one is above the rule in the same way that Tiger was, that Phil was, that JT was for this one. Like no one is above like these rules that like, it's not a boys club. You like chemistry is important, but like you, your Ryder yeah, Cup record like, isn't enough. Like I, I like what you're saying for sure. Like JT may have been 110 out of a hundred on chemistry and bringing the vibe and stuff like that. But his analytics and strokes gain for the year and re- leading up to it just outweighed the benefit he might bring with the other aspect and no one's above it, whether it be tiger, Phil, JT, Rory, he's not on American team, but my, you know, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, to a degree, I, I think a, a big part of it too, is someone being willing to bind the process and do what they can to get in, in fighting shape for this thing too. Like at the end of the day, JT f- finished in the middle of the fucking pack at the end of this event in terms of true stroke gain for the entirety of the event, like speed played like dog shit. Ricky played bad. Morikawa played bad. Shoffley played bad. Burns played bad. Like there was people that played way worse than JT did during this tournament. Like the idea that like he was the sole anchor and it was obvious not to bring him because of his year record. Like isn't I mean, exactly JT what the data for the entire, the JT for the entire event for strokes gained was the fourth worst. So it's Spieth and Wyndham worse than him. Him and Morikawa are pretty close, but I had the wrong tab open. But yeah, the, so, I mean, I, he did not play great golf. The best but, golf he played was at the the afternoon on Friday with Spieth when he was carrying him. And his challenge was very different because his role in that situation was not just play golf. It was played two on one, and that's very different than how he would have played and that, had Spieth and that been in the and hit greens. And that like, 100% that makes a difference. Goes into the strokes gain. This the strokes gain for this event is skewed because it's all meshed up weird. Um, you can go right. off of individual stuff like off the tee and approach and stuff like that, which gives you a better idea. Like if we go to JT strokes gain approach. He was minus 1.88. I just mean when when JT's playing and it's him and Jordan and Jordan is in his pocket and he's thinking, I have to birdie this hole on my own. That's going to affect how he chooses to hit that shot and how he chooses to attack. And versus if he knows, all right, Jordan's in the fairway or he's already on the green. I can go after this versus lay back or whatever he's going to play differently had he had a partner on those last five holes. Um, is all I, was saying, I don't, would... I don't disagree with that. I, I'm just saying I'm, I, I'm I not... was agreeing with what kid was saying. Like, yeah, at the end I, of the day, yeah. like I, 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 I don't think JT would have been on this team in my system. Like it, it, in the sense of what I focus on as the, both the intangibles, the passion, the unity being part of the, like, opening up for the process, having good current form. Like I would be more what I would call like draconian in how I, I run things for a team. And the idea is that like, you're not an individual, you're not a professional golfer. And this is what I was trying to say before 
I got cut off earlier is that like Rom had a a wonderful quote in uh, one of his press conference conferences is that the moment you walk through the doors of the Ryder Cup, you forget who you are outside of it. It does, your your past record doesn't matter. Who you are as a golfer doesn't matter. You're one of twelve on this Ryder Cup team. And you're doing everything you can to make the whole better than the sum of its parts and to get a win for your team. Like my US Open doesn't matter. My Masters doesn't matter. Me being the number one golfer in the world at one point doesn't matter. Like all that matters is what I can contribute to this team outside of my ego and everything there. And I believe that team is embracing it. Ours for sure does not do that. Like for sure doesn't do that. And that that is the fundamental problem with our team is that I think there is a culture in our both our professional sport and American golf, maybe American at large, that can't seem to really bind together in unity and community in the same way that that European Ryder Cup team can. And that's going to continue being a problem if we're not front-running. I think it'll be a problem at Beth Page if we aren't front-running. Yeah, and I think the first thing to continue with that that has to change is this buddy system shit like you should be playing with the best person that gives you the best chance to win like jt and jordan should not always be on the same squad because they're buddies you should be playing with the person that gives the team the best chance to win and jt might not be on this team if it wasn't just because they wanted him to play with jordan so i think you have to totally throw that aside like look when you play another team sport Nobody on an offensive line cares if they like to go to dinner with the left tackle when they're playing right guard. They care, does that dude give me the best chance to open up a hole for my running back to get through? Like, that is the objective of this team. It has nothing to do with are we good friends. We have to be able to play this game, and we have to be able to win. Um, So that's the first thing I would do is get rid of the buddy system. And also to the point I made, also to the point I made earlier to, you know, kind of go in, you know, add to what you just said, like, if you guys are as tight as you say you are, like, it shouldn't be an issue playing with someone else. Like, it shouldn't be that right. big of an issue that you're not playing with Jordan or you're not playing with Justin. Um, You guys play together all the time. Like Those guys don't know what tight means. Tr- truly, they, they don't know what a loving relationship looks like. That that that's what this is. It's like you don't know what love is because you haven't actually felt it in the in the what, way that you what you're Jordan and JT are tight. Like, yeah, you guys are tight. You two. That's why you want to play together. You're not tight with the rest of the crew. Like, yeah, you're exactly. cordial. Yeah, you know each other. Yeah, you play practice rounds together sometimes, but you're not like, hey. It's just me and my chick here. Like, come over and let's watch a movie or come over. I bought the fight. Come and watch it. Like, you're not calling fucking Brian Harmon and being like, hey, Harmon, come and bring <laughs> some of your fucking elk meat you just killed and come and watch fucking Alabama. You know, like, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I don't think they're qualified to say what the chemistry of their team is. I, I like, I believe that they're saying yeah. they believe what they're saying, but I think they are unqualified to say what their chemistry is. Like, cause at the end of the day, if it was as good as they say what it would, they would have been out there following their teammates, supporting them in the way that would have, it would have been a much different scene inside and out. Like I, 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 at the end of the day, I believe that if Luke Donald told Justin Rose, you're going to play with Bob McIntyre, Justin Rose is as happy to play with Bob McIntyre as JT and Spieth are to play with each other. That's the kind of yeah. culture that they've built. And until we do that, we're sure as shit not winning in Europe. 
It's just, it's not. No question. It's too much of an uphill battle. All right. Well, I think we've gotten into like a lot of the nuance of all the American team and stuff like that. We haven't even gotten to Saturday foursome. So, you know, I came out with a lot of, you know, hope um, that the pairings were going to be right. They weren't found that out that night. Um, And I just went into it, you know, thinking uh, like it was going to be kind of like the first day I was thinking we were going to get a point and a half, hopefully two points split the session, but it turned out to not be that. It's tough. Like we, I think we all knew speed shouldn't have been out there. Um, we, we knew that, uh, that them as a foursomes pairing haven't even had that good of a track record and we don't need to belabor it. Cause we've gone into how their form has been pretty bad going into it. It's honestly astonishing that they lost two and one that they were able to get it that far considering that like yeah. Rory and Tommy were playing completely fine, adequate golf. It was really kind of like a bit of a JT show out there, like keeping speed, JT, speed, speed alive. Did, speed did kind of show some putting light. Like he started putting for or putting well for a little while on Saturday. That worked out yeah. because JT had statistically the worst putting across the entire event by a massive margin. We're talking his strokes game putting was minus 5.72 of his minus 6.4 negative strokes gained. Like the nearest bad putter was Bob McIntyre at minus 3.46. Like where was it, Scotty on that? Cause Scotty looked awful. Scotty wasn't, he wasn't good. He was minus 1.9 though. Almost a full four strokes better than JT. That's insane to me. I, that's not how it showed on my television, but I guess I, I don't know. That's brutal. Yeah. It was a pretty horrible showing from JT on the greens, which is kind of the the status of the year at the end of the day. Like you can, you can get up and do what you can to fight and come over here and perform well, but like you can't fix everything in, in five weeks. And that's part of like Dave's point when we were talking in the pre-pod about like, you just can't make an argument for JT with how he's playing right now. And everyone was talking about like, yeah, but his Ryder Cup record and he cares so much. And like, yeah, at the end of the day, like he was one of the like better performers for the US team given that fact. And he had some tough spots from where JT was putting them in different areas. But at the end of the day, like you the the safer bet would have been to take someone like Dave in the pre-pod, which was Cameron Young and, and and seeing what he would have done out there. Like, is his floor right now in, in golf better than JT's at his worst? And how would that have shaked out? And, you know, what if you like replace Sam Burns with Keegan and then you maybe replace Spieth with fucking Lucas Glover and like you completely go complete shock performance. And, like what would have happened? Like it, it's easy to play hindsight 2020, but it, it does feel like this was kind of written on the wall. And yet we kind of just ran straight into oncoming traffic with it, especially with the first pairing out to set the tone for the day. We talked about how important it was to get right on the board early and to lead out with that, those two. And I get that they had the most compelling four ball match in the afternoon. And they were the closest actually win a point. And they wanted to go out there and do it in foursomes, but there's been no data historically with them as a foursomes pairing, but they were going to do it. I think if you're going to take a risk with something like that, it would have been sending out, you know, someone like Wyndham and, and Max again, even though him and Harmon got done that day for the first and only pairing in that Saturday foursome set. But he just didn't, he didn't have any reason to think that you should have sent them out first, a- apart from them just being the emotional leaders. I was befuddled yeah. by, by 
by the pairing and by them going out first. Like, yeah, again, like you just stated, like getting points on the board is big. Um, as I've stated, I don't think Jordan should have been playing. I would, I, I've been on record saying I would have liked to see JT and Rick go out. Um, but I would have been completely fine with a Brooks or and Harmon pairing going out or something like that. Like before, before we I, knew what was bound to happen with Brooks, which is uh... right. <laughs> well, I don't think I, I really hate the Scheffler Kepka pairing. I in the in the Netflix thing with Brooks, he you know the Masters win with Scotty. I don't I don't who won the Masters. Like I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I don't think Brooks likes Scotty. Um, I you know he talks about him a little bit. I I think you need to put Brooks with someone that he feels like he they're not his 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 equal, not not as equivalent. And I think Harmon would be like the perfect guy for him to where. He could be like, okay, I'm I'm the guy in this pairing, so I'm gonna try to help this guy, and we're gonna win as a team. Whereas like Scotty's like, it's more of like, uh, I don't know, I don't think it's a good mesh, but I don't know. I That's just how I re- too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I but they like... they they played the four ball the day before, and they put up a decent fight against Rom and and Hoygaard, Even though I mean, Hoygaard was playing well on the front nine. Like four, they had they were doing. Four ball is diff much different than four sums. Like I get it, but you're saying that like the, you're saying that like he hates the guy or doesn't like the guy, and they clearly were getting along fine in their four ball match. Like, like well, it's Scotty. It's Scotty. Like Scotty. That's gonna fine, get along Dave. But you have to you have to admit that like th- if there was a corrosive partnership there, they didn't see it Friday afternoon. Kid, they lost nine and seven. Like it wasn't it wasn't a good. No, you're 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 intentionally not listening to me. Friday afternoon in the four ball, Brooks and Scotty play together and they push their match against John Rahm and Nikolai Horgord. That happened before they lost nine and seven. That pairing didn't look toxic before the Friday, the Saturday foursomes. That's what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. I I didn't like the pairing when they were playing foursomes. But that's just me. It's that's just such a different game to foursomes versus four ball that uh, Clearly, they like lost the biggest for, losing yeah. margin in the entirety history of the Ryder Cup. It was a horrible result. My whole point yeah. being is that, like, no one could have predicted that was going to happen. It was the number one player in the world and five-time major champion, Brooks Kepka, losing to Victor Hovland, who is clearly one of the three best players out there in that course that weekend, and a rookie. Like, it was an astonishing result that, like, I don't think anyone could have predicted. I mean, they pushed a yeah. match to Rom and Nikolai Hoygaard. Like Nikolai Hoygaard had eight birdies. I get you. I'm just saying, like, I don't know. Like, it was a I... good match. Sure. Okay. I wasn't a fan of the pairing on either of them, but yeah, yeah. Clearly. But something wasn't working in foursomes for us as a U.S. team. And I think it fundamentally, once again, comes down to we can't play as a team. Also, props props to Victor and Ludwig. Ludwig had that fucking near ace on the par three. Um, I felt like this was one of the matches uh, that he, he, you know, kind of showed up and did his fair share um, that, you know, made him stand out for the Ryder Cup for me. 
Yeah. I mean, he, he's a rookie in the Ryder cup and he gets to walk away with saying, I have the largest winning victory in a match in the Ryder cup history. Like that's a pretty big deal. So yeah, props to both of them uh, being able to say that. And uh, there's not much to say. They just played atrocious on their own balls. You know, Brooks and, and Scotty were on course of shooting 80. So that that's never going to win you a match in the Ryder cup. Um, the only yeah. win on the board was Max and uh, Harmon. Uh, Harmon was putting his dick off with Max there, finally showing up with the flat stick that he needed to. And Homa was the best approach player on the course that day and was chipping in. He a walk off chip in before it went into the hole, which was dope. Um, fired up, chirping the crowd like Max was just an all star that afternoon or that morning and just bringing some momentum into the fucking locker room, getting them ready and ready to go for foursomes that day. Um, and I mean, we can, we, we can gloss over the two and one loss that Xander and Cantley had. I don't even like, I don't, I don't need to talk about them. Like that was our strongest pairing and they, they got no points for us. Rom and Terrell did a good showing. It, it seemed to be a good pairing for the Europeans. Yeah. Moving into the but... Saturday four ball. This is when things flipped at least a little bit. There seemed to be, you know, the smallest glint glimmer of hope for the, the U.S. team, uh, as we claim three of the four matches, uh, one decisive with Burns and Morikawa, with Burns finding some form, and Colin finally, after cleaning out his underpants from shooting himself all day on Friday, <laughs> um, was able to come together and find his ball striking to get uh, a match win with Burns against Hovland and Ludwig, who were, I would imagine at that point, just fucking gassed. Um, yeah. But... You know, at the end of the day, they're both young and they, you know, should be able to do it considering that plenty of people went all five, Rory being included and Max going five and they, they, they could have pulled it off. But, and then, so that was, you know, props to them winning two and one. That's a, it's a tough parent or I'm sorry, uh, going four and three. And then Max and Brian Harmon winning again in the afternoon against Tommy and Hoygaard. Not exactly the most, you know, bombastic pairing with Hoygaard having a pretty bad showing in, in the four ball with Tommy. So Tommy couldn't, carry him to victory there so you know it's good for Harmon and, and Homa to do it, it wasn't the strongest from pairing a, out there from it's a the, the result that should have happened <laughs> from the European perspective like I get sitting Rom but not sending him out with Hoygaard how about you wait before you jump in after taking a huge rip there bud <laughs> okay but yeah I, I feel like Rom and Hoygaard you know played well together the day prior and uh it just seems like that that did well for them. Um, I, I I get the idea that Rom could have been asking for it though. That dude was sweating fucking buckets. Like he, <laughs> I, I, think, say, he he I think he might have. I think he might have been out of gas, Dave. Yeah, but and Tommy played well in that. Like they they pushed it as hard as they could. They really. I think I just, Tommy I, just barely missed a putt to extend it. I think what I was kind of getting on is I feel like Rom was more of a like mentors not the right word but did maybe a better job of shepherding Hoygut around yeah yeah um yeah so that i mean that's a good victory from max and Harmon, but i think that's the expected result that we should have had there they're better players they should have been able to pull it off and they did the thing that's far less excusable is justin rose and big shot bob beating jt and speed three and two that that can't happen that that's the thing that had me saying like they're not imagine, locked for the Ryder Cup anymore. Imagine a world where you send them out again together. After that's my thing. Is the like four, the after the four ball showing. 
Imagine yeah. a world. This has been a fucking disaster twice. Maybe the third time. Like that. This is where we get to definition of so, so, so your your point is like you can't send them out at bet page together ever again. It's like is your statement. No, that's this. not my point. My point is during this Ryder Cup, they have already lost two matches together, and one of them being four ball. And you're going to send them a guy send them out again after losing the match in the morning in foursomes in four ball. Like mix it up. Like you're yeah. not like that in, in what world is that the bright call? Like and well, this is where what you what you, Zach- what you what you what you said was inaccurate. They pushed their four ball match on Friday and then lost their foursomes today and then went out and lost this four ball. Okay. They yes. It, fe- it felt it felt like a loss when they pushed Spieth, it. Like yes, had an right. IV in his arm. He was on a stretcher. Like he was floundering. So yeah. to me, that like we can't that, do this a, a, a third time. That bit was inexcusable. And then the last match, the fiery match of of the of the Saturday foursomes was the match with Fitzpatrick and Rory versus Patrick Cantlay and Xander Schauffele. At which point, I think, I mean, Rory did most of the carrying. Fitzpatrick did not quite have his form that he had on Friday. So it was a bit of like one and a half versus two for the on the European side. But still managed to claw it out to 18, at which point a massive flip, huge putt from Cantlay uh, to, to win that match after Rory couldn't close it out on 18 after a controversy that we can, it's crazy to even call it controversy, but after controversy considering how the, the, the media storm had turned into and just the continued comments afterward, but we can spend three, four minutes on this. I'll let Dave say his piece. Um, I'll just start it off by saying that the whole Hatgate thing was started from a tweet from Jamie Weir that by all accounts that I've heard was inaccurate. So the, the fact, fact that the, the, the hat protesting being paid was inaccurate. Yes. Yeah. Um, that wasn't the entirety that, of the tweet, but yeah. But the the point I'm trying to make is that the entirety of the crowd for most of the match was taking their hat off and taunting Cantlay the entire match, um, and it it uh it it's part of the Ryder Cup, and uh that's why I like the Ryder Cup. It's one of the few times in golf, except for maybe the waste management where the crowd gets involved and it's kind of more like a traditional. Yeah. We, 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 yeah, yeah, we, we get, we get the Ryder cup, the Ryder cup. Let's get, let's get to the, let's get to the meat of the matter here. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and what transpired on the 18th green is that Cantlay made a crucial putt and Rory had a putt to have the match. Um, af- after Cantley had made his putt, um, celebration had ensued. Um, not much celebration from the U.S. side up until this point throughout the entire Ryder Cup. So the U.S. team, one of the few times the actual team was out there on the green cheering their, uh, you know, they weren't the, the U.S. team wasn't on. on the green; they were off the green. Uh, sure, that's important to note, I guess. They were out there cheering on their fellow teammate, uh, you know, one of the few times. Um, so he makes the putt. They take their hats off in solidarity and just in appreciation and teammateship. Um, 
doing what the European crowd has been doing all day in, you know, trying to poke fun at them, I suppose. And uh, Joe LaCava in celebration is on the green. Patrick Cantlay's caddy. Um, and he is out there and, you know, uh, is out on the green after the putt has been made, significantly longer after the putt has been made. Um, Rory took offense to this. Um, was never in Rory's actual putt line, but uh, did stay out there longer than normal. But it is the Ryder Cup. They had just been celebrating, still celebrating. out there longer than normal for also the Ryder Cup, considering that we've literally never seen this before. But the 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 other thing being too is that it was to the point where Rory had also walked the entirety of his line, circled the hole, is walking back, and they nearly bump shoulder to shoulder with Jolakava still being close enough to Rory at that point after it had been minutes. Um, so that I feel like that's important to note. And Rory then asked to shoot him away. He's like, get out of the way. Um, nothing continued where, after that. Where well, Joe LaCava kind of gave him a fucking like, yeah, get out of here, like fuck off kind of vibe. And then but, continued to and then- chirp carry as Rory's sitting looking at his line before he prepares his putt, still talking either past Rory while Rory's still in his process. And then just like continue to do it. And this is also, and this is something that Rory said later in the day is that while the crowd was being ridiculous, he was for the last three holes when they were chirping and giving Canley shit and it was getting to a bolstering point, Rory was doing what Spieth commonly does at the Ryder Cups when the U S is like trying to calm the crowd down, like take it easy, let them do their thing, like show some respect while they're playing. And like Rory was doing that for Cantlay and LaCava for at least the last three holes. And he felt like he earned that respect from them to give him the same, you know, ability when, especially when it's coming from them to give him a chance to actually fairly go after this, 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 this putt. And was it fair? I think it was still fair. I think what LaCava did was stupid. I think it was obviously like out of line, not to make a pun, but I don't think it warranted what happened later, which we can we can get into next if you feel comfortable transitioning from the actual play. Um, yeah, I just uh, I I got I guess I kind of want to reemphasize that there had been really no big American like celebrations or even points to celebrate up until this point, um. And winning that that match, that final match, was huge. But they it, hadn't it won it yet. It, it literally, they had it, it. They hadn't won it yet. Yeah, I know. But it was the putt to for hope of winning that match. So I get the celebration, and I get that Roy could still have the have the hole. Um, but that's that. I think that's where at least I net out. Like it was if there was a turning point for the American team, it was that moment. Granted, it just got them to be the same amount down. They were going into Saturday to go into Sunday. So literally the odds would be, they just stopped themselves from going deeper in the hole. (laughs) Yeah. But it's in a worse situation because you have less points to try to win. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Without question. Um, So I, where where I net out is I think Joe LaCava truly act like a dipshit out there but that that, i get being caught up in the moment i think but at the end of the day i think he was still wrong but that like at the end of the day it's a Ryder cup people can make mistakes but i i think to defend it is stupid 
Um, but I think what Rory did is equally indefensible, which is later after the round was over, the first thing he did when he left the locker room and saw his first American is he was still fucking riled up about it because he wanted to win that match. And okay, also, you're gonna jump the- in. I can already see that you want to jump in. No, no, real quick. And I don't know if you know this or not. So he was talking to Bones during that. Yeah. Why are you why is, are you getting ahead of me right now? Like I'm about to explain this. <laughs> okay. I just don't know if you know it, but yeah, uh Joe Lacava wasn't even there. We're like doing this conversation backwards now. So Rory leaves the locker room, and the first American that he sees is Bones, like as they're leaving, and he's with other people, and he just starts shouting about the situation how ridiculous it was to bones who's like the nicest dude in the world and saying like it was a disgrace like you can't be doing that like that's not how you conduct yourselves after everything i was doing throughout the day to like calm down the crowd like i was trying like i I should have been given the the grace to go after that and make it a a fair you know end to kind of push the match and it was you know it was it was fucked up it was a disgrace like all ridiculous exaggerated language like i i share your sentiment that like it's the Ryder cup and this stuff happens and like you gotta be able to shake it off and like rory was still pissed about it happening and like it's gonna be water under the bridge but like he was yelling at bones about it like being pissed at lacava but like voicing it at bones as it's an extension of the american team Roy later texted bones that night and apologized because he knew he was being ridiculous I think he still has, you know, an issue with Lacava. I know that they texted after the next day. There was a false report that they actually met in person, and and Rory uh, put that to rest after his match on Sunday. He's like, no, I never met with Joe. And then later that evening, they had texted and said like, it's it's squashed, but like, it's water under the bridge. But R- Joe Lacava acted acted like a dipshit on the green, and Rory acted like a dipshit in the parking lot, and they were both wrong in their own way. That's that's where I net out. I think that's fair. I'm not I'm not going to you know rebuttal that. My my take is that it's the Ryder Cup. Yeah, you yeah, Lacava was pushing it. Yeah, he probably shouldn't have done that, but it's the Ryder Cup. They're so far down. It's turning point. And he's fired up in the same way that Rory was fired up in the parking lot. Like the idea is like the Ryder Cup does something different to people because they care so much. And like they were getting shit the entire time and in a way it's like a it's a you know call seam, it's a cauldron for them. And like people are in emotional states. And that's where I'm like netting this out as like you both acted emotionally. Like and we also need to- like if there's any moment of the Ryder Cup that's gonna go down, it's gonna be this moment. And it's just a moment. Like granted, yeah, it depending how you look at it, Lakava is in a bad light, or you know, it's the turning point of the Ryder cup. And if the U S came back and won it, they'd be probably talking about this moment in a different way. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the big I, thing I, is I, like, it, 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 it was the unifying factor for the Americans to come out with some level of fire into Sunday. I think it was equally unifying for the European team. Just be like, Oh fuck this shit. Like let's close this shit out now. And at the end of the day, too, like how unified was really Americans? Only half of them came out without their hats on. Like clearly that memo had gotten around the team, like in solidarity, let's go with our hats off. And like Brooks and Scheffler went out with their hats on. Morikow and JT and Spieth had their hats off. Like, you know, what? like what are we doing here if we can't even commit to something as simple as like taking our hats off? <laughs> yeah, so I don't I know how galvanized the U.S. team was. Yeah, I mean, I've been pounding home at that most of the podcast, but. Yeah, I I uh I don't take huge offense to what Lakava did as 
the same amount as I don't take huge offense to what Rory did. Um, it just shows that both of those guys really fucking like the Ryder Cup and they're going to do, you know, whatever it takes to fucking take it home. And LaCava being a caddy, which in it to a degree, I fucking respect. Like, you're a caddy, you're not even hitting the golf shots and he's out there fucking like, yeah, maybe crossing the line, but it's like... I haven't so... heard a single person in professional golf, like, defend LaCava is the main thing. Is like, every I single... Don't know... I don't know a lot about LaCava. I'm just going off of face value at what I saw during this golf event. Um, yeah, um, people might not like him. Yeah, he might be a bad guy. And he's no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Well, I'm just saying, like, based on the circumstance, like, given like how I think many professional golfers understand both professional golf and the Ryder Cup are like, yeah, what LaCava did was out of pocket. And like, it, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't have happened. And like, yeah, he should I mean, know better I... from being a veteran caddy. I, I get that. I net out a little differently. Like I, I think a lot of fans do because they, I think at the end of the day, like the Ryder cup is an entertainment product for us. I think it's a competitor event for a lot of professional golfers. And we think about them as two different things. Whereas like, I'm hoping for fucking chaos at a Ryder cup to a degree. And like, that's part of it delivering. Whereas I think a lot of people are hoping for like a different thing when you're a professional golfer. And you know, I, I, that's where I think the people that are reading, it, I think more on a, a actual professional golf operation level, kind of understand what the, 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 I the get right that, way for but this to like, happen is. It's kind of the Ryder cup and the waste management, like shit can kind of go haywire and you're the home team. And the second shit goes a little haywire for you, this Ryder cup at home, then you're going to make a huge deal out of it. You know, I, you I think at the end like, of the day, it's just like LaCava is not that guy to do it, though. Like if Cantley's doing it, I think it's a different story in the same way. Like I agree Keegan and, I and, and, and hell, a, like almost fighting like is fucking sick because they're the ones that are actually competing against each other. Like LaCava, like. It's it's I not his that. place to do it. I, I get that perspective, but I don't know the I, I think caddies are fair game. They're out there for every shot. They're helping read putts they're helping is zach johnson fair game when he's just creeping on t-boxes no. getting super close to europeans I mean, like where allowed... is the line i i uh i don't think the the t-boxes thing with zach johnson i i literally haven't seen any of that i i, I uh from what guys I watched, out here so fucking like... fucking swiper from door to the explorer just creeping around just getting closer and closer to europeans yeah I'm not going to talk on that because I literally haven't seen any of that. Um, but but I will stand by my LaCava take. Like, yeah, he might have put a toe or two over the line. But, you know, I sound like a broken record, but it was the one of the only moments the U.S. team had. And it was the it was the biggest moment for the U.S. team, this whole Ryder Cup. And like I was saying, like, Europe had a lot of moments and uh, Rory getting that butt hurt by it. Like he didn't stand in your line. Yeah. He was out there for too long. Yeah. He was taunting you guys, but he didn't step in your line. I think there's a, like, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous for someone to say what Rory did is butt hurt. But when people have passion or pissed off and like fighting with someone saying like about that stuff, it's like, it, it, it I think it's just, are they against you or with you? And that's how I'm going to choose my adjective. Like, 
Rory being passionate about the Ryder Cup is cool, cool but what Joe Lacava did wasn't bitchy or bemoaning or like, like it, it, it's a, it's a, it's I'm not catch saying 22. The, I, I'm not saying the intent wasn't to be bitchy. I'm not saying that at all. A hundred percent could be bitchy, but that's competition, man. Like you're on an NFL field. Those guys are fucking chirping each other the entire time talking shit. Like the little, so bit are the, are, like, are those NFL guys butthurt? No, because that's part of the game. Yeah, so Rory and talking like shit one, in the parking lot. It, but this it, is supposed to be different. This is supposed to be a team Ryder Cup thing that's different. And I've mentioned waste management, but like as far as like the crowd aspect goes, like that's the closest thing to it. And like the one little bit of weird obstruct adversity you you do you, you take on home soil where you've been getting all of the crowd love the entire time where the caddy doesn't step in your line. Yeah. He was tripping you guys. Yeah. He probably stepped over the line a little bit, but he was just there. You can't reset and fucking look at your line and you're going to make a big deal out of that. I, I don't know. Firstly, he didn't, he, he didn't on the green. He just shoot him off and went through his process and it was cordial and defeat on the green. He, after the fact, got fired up about it and then also felt like he deserved grace after helping them out to quell the, the crowd for three holes before that. The, bot- the bottom line is that he thought that that made a difference for his putt that he made or he didn't make. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a big deal. He was thinking about it after, like, if that didn't happen, I could have made the putt or I should have made the putt or whatever it may be or that he wasn't going to have a perfect record this Ryder Cup. Who knows what went into it? But obviously, he felt like that was a big enough thing to make a big deal out of it in his eyes to where I'm just like, man, that's that's this game. That's this. That's the Ryder Cup. Like you're you're shushing the crowd at Hazeltine. You're doing your your antics. I, I know he's the player. I get that point. But I feel like, yeah, like I said, LaCava might have stepped a toe or two over the line, but I think it's fair game. All right, let's wrap this shit the fuck up. Um, Sunday singles. <laughs> <laughs> um, first match out, it's a fucking, it's a brawl with Rom and Scheffler to be a tone setter for the U.S. team. It was looking like it was going to get the the first red point on the board that we need to make this thing a fucking reality in the comeback that wasn't really a comeback. And for all intents and purposes, I don't know how Scheffler actually lost that match. Um, strokes yeah. gained wise, uh, they weren't close. Uh, Rom was losing holes worse than Scheffler was, but because it's match play, uh, the scores can be relatively close. If you lose with Bogan, a guy birdies and uh, Scheffler played better golf than him today and they still have it. That just, that just sucks. Well, Scheffler didn't have to, didn't do what he had to do down the 16, 17, 18 stretch. Um, in the world that the U.S. wins this Ryder Cup and comes back, we had to have that point. We we had to have Scheffler win against Rom, yep. and that just didn't happen. When that didn't happen, it was kind of the writing on the wall. It didn't the the tone wasn't set. The U.S. probably didn't really have a chance to come back and win this. Um, there's a little, there's a little like the door was the door is still slightly slivered open, but it really needed to happen. Um, but the other big three showed up to at least like make it almost impossible with Victor just snuffing out his classmate, um, Hovland four and three. Like Hovland's just has is now just a cut above, I think. He's a weapon. Yeah, he's fucking insane. 
Um, Rose got put to bed by Cantley, two and one. Cantley obviously, you know, still buzzing after Saturday afternoon and, and showing up for his team. Um, so props to Cantley having a great Ryder Cup, despite me just not being a huge fan of his generally. Rory closing out Burns three and one. So two of the big three showing up for Europe to at least make uh, two of their four and a half necessary, or I guess their four points they need on Sunday. So half of them are done between Hovland and Rory. Fitzpatrick loses one up to Homa where we have to dedicate some time on 18 for Homa. I mean, what an, what a, after him not being able to close out the match against Rose, I think it was on Friday and in, in four ball um, to get a second chance against Fitzy being in an absolute dead spot outside the green for Joe to talk him off of the shot and take an unplayable hit an incredible up and down Fitzy misses his putt. Think, and then, and then I think, <laughs> sorry. But uh, I think I've heard a quote from him that he just, I don't know if it was God or yes, he, he just asked for another opportunity like what he had against Rose and he wanted to make it happen. And he, he got that on 18, which was awesome. And with with the whole play out of taking the unplayable, like it, 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 I, in the moment, was like, what the fuck? Like, you're going to take an unplayable right here? So, you know, he's a professional golfer. He made the right call and in the moment and made it happen. The most fired up I had been the entire weekend to watch Max sink that seven and a half, eight footer to push the hole and win the match and keep the U.S.'s chances alive, albeit super small, um, against Fitzy, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, as a different golfer than he was at previous Ryder Cups and, you know, had a, a pretty good session on Friday and then, you know, showed up and played pretty good singles against Max. So that was a, you know, a great win for Max, only for it to be followed up by his partner getting beat three and two by Hatton in commanding fashion. Um, not much he could do there considering Hatton was playing pretty great golf on Sunday and just Hatton just actually just to me, like I thought Hatton was not going to play well at this Ryder Cup and he played really good golf so props to hatton for for showing up for being kind of the middle of the road guy for the europeans that they need someone to step up and play big i think that hatton rom pairing is a good one and they should lean on that in the future yeah i don't i don't i don't disagree um ludwig ran out of gas i mean played four sessions as a rookie um brooks after resting uh after his serious beat down only playing 11 holes saturday morning uh Beat Ludwig three and two. A good effort from the from the rookie from Ludwig. Obviously, big things to come from him. Justin Thomas taking down the septic tank two up. Um, you know, obviously continuing to have his undefeated record in singles. Um, playing phenomenal golf. Uh, you know, on Sunday, you know, playing his heart out, being a, a an engine for the U.S. team, trying to keep the chances alive. Hoygaard playing bad golf. Xander playing mediocre golf to beat him <laughs> three and two. Lowry and Spieth, this is the one that hurts, man. Like Spieth had me dreaming a little bit on Sunday that like he had found it, something, was playing good golf against Lowry, and he just fucking also, just falls apart the last three holes. It also didn't matter this match. It was already the cup was already decided. So I don't know. It was it was what it was. But he had he should have closed it out by 16 or 17 where it wouldn't they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have lost by that point then. It was only the problem when it had come down to 18 that he didn't close it out and he had still won that hole to push the match. So it didn't the fact that he was in a position where he could only push the match was already a, a loss for Speeth who had 
ton of control through the front nine and like had tons of opportunities to close the match out and just never did it. Like he yeah. has continued to just be so poor in singles. And I, I just don't understand it. It's it's wild. Um, I'm going to clear the floor uh, for this next one uh, between Tommy Fleetwood and, and Ricky Fowler and just give you your space to talk on your boy, Dave. Um, Cause there's obviously some notable things that occurred in this, uh, this match that I think are at least worth mentioning on a podcast. Well, he, I will give it to Rick that he battled his way against one of the better guys on the European team this week. Agreed. Um, you know, he was one down through three, ended up getting a hole back. Um, Tommy got that hole back at hole six. Ricky turned around and got won the next hole, and it was all square going into nine. Fleetwood proceeded to win the next two holes. Ricky got one back. Fleetwood responded with the next one. And then it 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 ultimately came down to the 17th hole, the drivable par four, where Ricky had to get a win. He had to get a win. He pumped it into the water right. And at that moment, it was kind of just the writing on the wall. Fleetwood had a multitude of options to do from there, whether it was take a three wood off the tee and lay back and chip on and try to get birdie. But in all reality, he made the right move, take driver um, and kind of try to, that's just the right club on that hole in match play. And uh, cause Ricky could ultimately get up and down for par Likely was going to from how good his approach shot was after the hazard shot. Like he had like four feet or like five feet for his bar save. But Fleetwood made an awesome drive, uh, had an amazing chance at Eagle. Um, It trickled down, not super close to the hole, but good enough to where this cup was pretty much done. And, uh, Ricky Chitup had a uh, opportunity for par. Fleetwood made his eagle attempt, um, was probably two-ish to three feet short, and uh, even the uh, the announcers and stuff like that, and they were saying like, "There's no way you're gonna concede this for the Ryder Cup. Um, you're gonna you're gonna want to see that putt." And uh, Rick. Being the fucking nice guy he is, uh, which I highly disagree with this move, but he uh, concedes the putt to Fleetwood to win the Ryder Cup, and that's what did it. Um, I don't. I, I you you just you can't do that for the rest of your team. Like I get that you're yeah. a nice guy, but you played two sessions, like, and you're out here conceding a two and a half three footer that I get Tommy is going to make 95% of the time, but we just watched, we just watched big shot, Bob one hole previously miss a shorty two, And like when the cups on the line, people miss short putts because of the pressure and you didn't give them that opportunity to do that. And I don't think it would have changed the results. Certainly not. And I I don't think Big Shot Bob was going to lose to Wyndham, even if he knew the cup was on his shoulders because Wyndham is fucking a choke artist. But uh, the 
that was just such a tough way to see the cup become Europe's that that it just unbelievably anticlimactic of a of a finish honestly not even giving Tommy the opportunity to make the putt so he can have like that be his fucking highlight for for winning the Ranger Cup or the, the fucking Ryder Cup um kind of wild I mean inexplicable behavior <laughs> I mean explainable for Rick but just like I've never been more upset with Ricky in my entire life. Um, yeah, like you said, unexplainable. Like there, he would say that it was a gimme, like he's going to make that. And it's like, also like what you mentioned, give him that moment to make the putt and like go crazy and celebrate. Like, like how much of it was like you didn't want to have to have the par putt to make it to extend the match and make him make that putt. Like, you know, Rick, like I'm, you know, you're making me think too hard about what you were thinking in that moment. And I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a bit perplexing. I don't, I don't quite, I don't quite understand it. So, you know, that caps off, you know, their match and then big shot, Bob wins his match two and one against Wyndham. And Europe clinches it 16 and a half to 11 and a half. Um, a far cry from both of our predictions, yours uh, being 19 and nine initially until I had a, a wild reaction to 19 and nine for a, a back-to-back biggest winning margin victory in R- Ryder Cup history and on European soil. You downgraded to 18 and a half and you were... Uh, a bit off so I, I, I just general sentiments uh do you think that u.s team could have done what you just said or do you think they could have maybe just eked out a, a, a Ryder cup win if things had been slightly different or you know did just the worst possibilities all happen simultaneously and this is the worst the u.s could have done um i think that there was a lot of bad golf played and i think there was a lot of bad captain choices and not putting your foot down errors um do i think it would have gotten to the point that i predicted in hindsight no but do i think that the us team could have won this ryder cup yes um and i think a lot of that comes down to not making the pairings that they should have that first day in the afternoon session. If that would have flipped, it could have been a lot, a lot different. Um, and I get that's with the pairings that, that were out there. But again, we mentioned the Jordan Justin pairings in the morning on Saturday. We mentioned the Jordan Justin pairings on Saturday afternoon. Um, and it just there's a lot of things that could have been done from a captain's perspective and just maybe the guys are upset with you but um it could have been the difference do you think the u.s learned their lesson no not a chance in hell right now (laughs) if you had to obviously you know a lot changed from whistling straights to now in just a two-year stretch and to think that it's four years until we go to a dare manor right now gun to your head who wins in a dare manor 
Oh, gun to my head. <laughs> yeah, make a real prediction. Gun to your head in a dare manner. By this point, I'm it will have been Euro- 34 go, years. I, I'm going to go Europe because uh, one, it's a home game. Um, two, the team camaraderie. And three, I think they have a little bit of youth that we didn't think was really there. And it is there. I think it's fair to say that Spieth and JT do not become better golfers than like their peaks ever were in four years in time when one's 35, they're both around 35 years old. And I don't know if they're on that team. So unless the the youth of Gordon Sargent and a bunch of these other Sam Bennett and these these guys come in and they have a different mindset and they they have better captaincy. I I don't see a world where we can ever and I didn't favor the US going into this one, but to to ever hear someone say it in the future is until we do it is is fucking is is wild. And I don't think there's any I think you can make close predictions and think it's going to be tight. Um but uh I I don't see a world where we could think that the US is going to come over here and get it done unless we see some massive cultural changes and a different makeup of the team and all this bullshit outside of golf uh calming down where we can get focused on the the, the real the real drivers and, and and importance of the of the Ryder Cup it's uh, it's tough but once again it's my favorite event as much as Beth Page is going to be a fucking shit show and there's going to be just as much controversy if not more so than there was this year at Marco Simone um it's going to be a fun time. I think it's going to be close and I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I I'm so tired of this event being, uh, a bludgeoning, uh, on home fields. I mean, the crazy thing is, is that this wasn't a close Ryder cup and it's still the closest margin of, uh, a victory that we've had in the last decade. It's tied for it. Like that's crazy between like golf nasty and now, Hazeltine and Whistling Straits and Glen Eagles, like this is tied for the clo- the closest margin of victory. And they lost by fucking four by five points. Yeah. That's not good for the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. Uh but I think it like like I said, with this Ryder Cup, I don't I, I Obviously, both the teams have an issue with going to the opponent's home field. Um, Not really. I mean, the Europe won in Medina. Like they, they're having better records on. They, you, just, the la- you just made a stat that the last decade they've been blowouts. So I mean, like, I, 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 I appreciate. Okay, yeah, that, that's true. But I'm just saying, like they, they've, they've at least done it though. Like they, they at least have come over and, and like at least their unity sometimes prevails, where we don't even give ourselves a chance at it. Sure, there's a difference in, you know, relatively close to a decade in 30 years. I sure, but like you said, it it has been a while since it's close on a home field for either team and i just think i don't 
I, I don't know how you fix that. Like you want to bring in a third party to set it up. I don't even, I, I think it's more than that. I think, I think the crowd makes a big difference. I think just being in Europe or being in the United States makes a big difference. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's more rise to the occasion to make the right choices from a captain's perspective, from a player's perspective and and get it done like the the win at a a way field or you know a not home game for the Ryder Cup the first one to do it from here on out like that's going to be huge that's going to be massive and it's going to be the story everyone writes about that that week yeah but, i mean i i go ahead you said but um no go ahead what what are you thinking yeah i was just gonna say just like yeah i'm kind of talking out two sides of my mouth because i i just said a second ago said beth page is going to be close um i don't know if it's wishful thinking that i think it's gonna be close because i want it for the entertainment value but i also think despite them losing in such horrendous fashion at whistling straits with so many of the europeans living in the united states playing pga tour courses people like ludwig and hoygaard joining the team like i think they're a, a, a better fit to do okay at some of these more neutered American venues. And I think with them not having their fans there at whistling straights to have some sort of camaraderie in the crowd, you know, obviously had an impact. So I think if they can get a decent contingent of Europeans at Beth page, despite it being probably debaucherous from the the New Yorkers, like it could be close and I'm, I'm hoping it will be for entertainment's sake, but I, I want to well, see the U S go over and win in a dare manner. I just think like it's, there's a better chance the Europeans win at Beth page, especially with where the, it seems the, the U S team is trending. You mentioned the crowd at whistling straights for COVID reasons or whatever it is. You didn't say that, but like the crowd was much yeah. more American heavy. Um, so that was 199. This one was 16 and a half to 11 and a half. Like how much, do you think the crowd would pay like would it go to that deficit that we had this Ryder Cup? Like, would it have made the difference? Wait, I'm I'm sorry. Like if you're saying if if the Europeans had more crowd in whistling straights, would the deficit have gone to 16 and a half to eleven and a half for the Europeans? Like how much of a difference does it make? Like it's still a blowout. No, yeah, without it's, question. It's well, I, I think I, I, the, I think the Europeans lost at Whistling Straits both because the crowd wasn't there and also they're all in pretty bad form besides Rom. Like they had Sergio on that team. They had Lee Westwood on that team. They had Ian Poulter on that team. They had a bad uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick on that team. They had they they were a completely different team than they were at, the, at this one. They were both no crowd and a bad team. Rory didn't show up for that one. I think they have a very different team going into Beth page. And if these people stay on course, Matthew Fitzpatrick is still young. Ludwig's a fucking killer. Like I I'm assuming Rory and Rom are still going to be playing a, a high caliber in two years. And Hovland is ascending like they're, they're generational fucking talents. And who in our team besides Max is looking like they're becoming a better golfer right now and a more complete golfer. I mean, that wasn't really the, argument i was trying to make i'm just saying like i think for the 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 home field thing like yeah i i don't disagree that i think whistling could be much closer than you know this this week 
you know, I, I don't, I don't even want, I don't even want to make that argument. I'm just saying that like that just played into the fact that like if the Europeans have this team and a better crowd than they had at Whistling Straits, like Beth Page could be closer for them than this was for us at Marcus Simone, like significantly. So like I, I hope I hope for it for entertainment purposes, but I think the U.S. is sooner to be upset like Medina again than we are to upset them in Europe until we change our act. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think I think the U.S. issue is a team room issue, and I think that what what I think is that Europe is firing on all cylinders. Like there's no more juice to be squeezed, whereas the American team has juice to be squeezed and they haven't found the optimal captain or way of setting things up for the Ryder Cup, whereas I think Europe has. And if we get to that same level that America will win overseas, I I think it's definitely possible. Um I think you're exactly yeah, right. And- I think they're they're completely optimized in Europe and they've they've squeezed out every little inch that they can out of the situation. And the US just goes out there and just expects them to just win off of talent alone. And we know that that can't happen in the Ryder Cup. You guys can maybe do it in the President's Cup, but those are still looking kind of close. Like, but it's not gonna work for the it Ryder looked- Cup. The President's Cup looked close at uh, Quill Hollow, and it was after Live where they didn't have guys that they would have had, and that was at home. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah, like, I, I, I genuinely think what I just said earlier is accurate. I think it's a matter of getting the team room right and the right captain and the U.S. could be running away with a lot of these. Um, obviously, probably closer in Europe. But uh, I think, for me, it's a race to who gets it done on foreign soil first at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to see a pretty big shakeup. I, I mean, we heard about people talking about like this new core group from Whistling Straits and like, this is our these are our guys. But I... I'm I'm losing a lot of confidence that they're willing to buy into a system. And I think that is a critical piece in this being a consistent force that can go over to Europe and win. And I I just don't think we're going to do it on town alone and that requires right. us being a pop, you know, completely firing on all cylinders which you can't guarantee like we saw this week. I just I feel like us rolling a 6 with the die is is not going to happen because I think that's what our odds are is going over with town alone and winning it. So you gave me a gun to my head question earlier. I'm gonna give you one. Um who wins on foreign soil first, US or Europe? Europe. Europe. Okay. That was quick and they have two shots at it. They're we're not winning in a dare manner. Like we're we're not winning in a dare. And they might win in Bethpage and they might win. Or are they going back to Hazeltine? I think is where they're going after that. I can't remember. I don't know. Um, but it's no, like we're not. And I would love to be proven wrong, but nothing, nothing is making me think that we're losing or learning our lesson from this. And we're going to trot out the next fucking useless captain with no, you know, adequate system 
with a system of guys that don't that that clearly from their press conferences they need to they need to bring in a D two college coach for football that wants to get his fucking name out there and go out there and he's the fucking captain for the U.S. team <laughs> for the Ryder Cup and he's gonna get a bunch of publicity and if he goes over and wins and does the right thing i think that would be crazy <laughs> dude they should fucking have ann walker from the women's stanford team go over there and fucking tighten up that ship and get it going she can fuck that would be cool squad. too dude, mix uh, it up fucking do something different send over the fucking fuck- coach k or popovich get them fucking send right over going. fucking coach prime from colorado <laughs> Deion sanders son <laughs> yeah there's no ducks on the european side they'll be fine Um, the, the point I'm trying to make is that like, they need to mix it up. Like they've had the same captains for so long, like get, get something fresh in there. And I'm not, not, not tiger, not tiger. I I agree. I don't think tiger's the answer either. Like I, I, at the end of the day, I don't, when I hear Spieth say it's like, cause when they finished their press conference and the tape was still running and Spieth was talking to reporters with just the mic nearby, he's like, it's very simple. I can tell you how we lost. We lost because they made more putts out of 10 and 15 feet. And I couldn't be more wrong. I, I couldn't disagree more with Spieth. You're not learning your lesson. If you think that's why you lost, if you think you lost because they made more putts than you, then you're missing the forest for the trees. Because that's not how this, how you guys lost this week. And you're choosing to not learn your lesson by not sorting your house out. He's, he's choosing to go in a, analytically da- like data driven and being like, yeah, if we would have made more putts, we would have won it. That's super easy to say. I'm sure there's a bunch of other things you could say. Like, yeah, if we would have hit every fairway and made the good approach shot, we would have won too. Like it's just, but- but the, like, what that's telling me about your mindset is that you guys aren't willing to ask yourself the hard questions and do the thing that's difficult, which is to build a new culture, to 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 advocate for different captaincy, to approach it with different methods, to make people buy in and, and, and play with people that they don't feel the most socially comfortable with, but can bind together and be the guy in the in the foxhole with you. Like it's just we're not showing any sign of life for that. And we're not going to by a dare manner. And I don't, I don't see anyone in that team room who's willing to make that change. That isn't already thinking that way, which is like JT and Homa. Like, I don't think anyone else is truly buying into that. And unless we see something radical in the captaincy that literally whips these guys into shape, but I don't see like, fuck, say it's Michael Jordan that comes in and like captains these guys and like fucking cracks the whip on them. Like, I still don't see dudes like Cantlay or Shoffley like giving them the time of day. Like I, I think that's how individualistic well, it, they are. If it was MJ, Cantlay and Shoffley wouldn't be on the team as soon as MJ was like, All right, you're gonna be playing with this guy or that guy. But what if they qualified like, no. on points? MJ would be like, nah. <laughs> uh, MJ would whip this team together, man. If I if I saw an MJ captaincy, I would be just ecstatic. That would be just oh my god like but th- th- no one could command more authority on killer instinct and getting the job done and being selfless and like going through and like giving everything out on the line and like being a team player and like getting the shit done than like someone like mj who like carried a team on his back and did everything he could and like i still don't think that team that went to marco simone would would accommodate that <laughs> like we're too we're too entitled 
Yeah. It's a matter of getting the right guys on the team. You know, Keegan would have been on the squad. Fuck yeah, he's he part of Jordan's brand, dude. He would have yeah, been falling in probably, line. He probably he probably would have pulled Harold Varner off a of live tour, up, brought him over too. <laughs> dude, the 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 whole thing is like to kind of tie a bow on this. I I I think it's not looking bright for the U.S. team after such a, a an obvious triumph in Whistling Straits based on raw talent and horsepower alone, and then when you realize it, like you're a drag car and you had to go off-roading in Europe and you can't do that. Like then we start, Oh fuck, we got the wrong vehicle and we're not, we don't understand what to get into. I don't entirely disagree with that, but what I will say is a lot of people were talking this same way after whistling straights and going to the opponent's home turf um, two years is a very long time. Who knows how the American meritocracy or whatever you want to call it will shake out at the end of two years from now. Um, there may be names that we'd never thought were in fucking contention. Brian Harmon, Wyndham Clark, like who knows who's going to be on that team. Um, and I have confidence that the U.S. will win at Beth Page. Um, as far as Adair Manor goes, um, I don't know. That's too far out to know. But what I do know is that that venue should be an awesome Ryder Cup. Um, it looks unbelievable. Um, but yeah, uh, I I I I think there is hope for the United States. Um, but yeah, like we've been beating a dead horse. Like they need to get the yeah team room in order they just um, have to catch lightning in a bottle it seems like because like i think if you took the whistling straits team to marcus simone with that 2021 form it would have been close and they probably would have won but like that was the best our Ryder cup team has ever looked and that was probably the best it could have ever looked in that like three to four week stretch and then people started losing their game and things had started falling off and like I think if there was ever a team that would have been able to pull it off, it would have been that I mean, one. The, and like the golf world got segregated. Like it, there, there's no way of saying it otherwise. Like, yeah, but I mean, DJ's form was not good this year. Bryson's was yeah, not good there, for like three quarters of the year. So let's, let's not Bryson pretend like they're Bryson. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Had in, Bryson has had incredible form for the last month to six weeks going into the Ryder Cup. He shot a 58. He on a fucking very, on a fucking resort very, course. Like it's it's a 58 to 58, but like that's not the I'm same just, thing. I'm just saying that there was zero my point is that the golf game was segregated and that there were guys that you could put into consideration that weren't put into consideration really even on the PGA tour side. So obviously like we've been beating home, the team room needs to get it fixed. Um, and two years is a long time. Who knows what all happens with PIF and the PGA tour and everything like that. The Ryder cup team might look very, very, very different in fucking 2025. Um, but I know we're trying to wrap this up. I wanted to get, I had a question that I wanted to get in. If you had to give an MVP 
We do this in the Ranger Cup. Um, I guess not for the losing team, but for this question, for the winning team and the losing team, who would your MVPs be? It's Rory and Homa. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Obviously, Hovland and Rom are in consideration for Europe, um, at least in my eyes. But yeah, Rory is Rory was one uh, hole away from five and zero. That and Rory is the as much as I hate to say it, the JT for the European team in my eyes. Um, Why do you hate to say it? <laughs> because, um. I guess I just don't like to like you JT do. as much as he is a life force for the Ryder Cup team, if I'm being honest. Oh, I was I was hearing that more as a slight against Rory than JT. No. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you. I think those are the two guys. Um Homa. Homa rose to the fucking occasion. I think we yeah, haven't we, really we, talked about Homa right, at all. You're right. Um, he deserves three, more praise in this podcast. Like he he three, battled where three, other guys didn't. Three one and one. He did so good in the Presidents Cup too. Like Homa is a team guy, and I hope he gets the same amount of respect JT got this time around. He won't, but around. he should. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like, Homo's got to win some majors to get the superstar status that JT had, and that goes a long way to get yourself on teams. But I think he's earned himself into being obviously a very strong consideration going forward. But I already told you that, like, I am getting far more draconian with how I put people on teams. And no one... he's playing fucking abysmal like JT was going into this fucking Ryder Cup, he's not on the team in my book. But, like, I'm just saying, like, you got to have some respect on Homa's name going into 100%. events. Like, 100%. That has to be given. Like, he has a great record in the last two team events that he's been And on. college team golf. I can't remember how well he did in the Walker Cup, but fuck. I mean, Homa has showed up in all facets of team golf. He's 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 down. That's a dude that I'm confident is down for the fucking process. And it will be selfless in the locker room. And not just say that, but show that. And... I I think uh, I think he's willing to be open minded. I think he's willing to adopt any system. I think he won't convince himself what, that his friend is the right pairing. That he will hear someone when they say you should play with Brian Harmon, and he will play with Brian Harmon, and he'll make the best of it. Like at the end of the day, like Max was emblematic of what you want the U.S. Ryder Cup team to be. And if I could have eleven more Max homos on our team, that'd be fucking awesome. Um, because he may not be Scheffler, he may not be Rory. But 12 maxes is enough to win a Ryder Cup based on grit and compassion and being about the process. Yeah, he's not fucking Scotty Scheffler, but he's fucking Max Homa, dude. And he is enough to get it done, bro. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, he's he's shown that he can step up and fucking get it done. So prop props to Max. Um, I will say... Not to disparage, but he had some of the e- easiest pairing matchups that you could have asked for. He had the easiest road to fight at the Ryder Cup, but that doesn't stop him from fighting the fight and winning the fight in many cases. 
Hey, you're just giving the guys in front of you and you got to go and win your match. Hey, and he, he could have won against the harder ones. He could have done that too. I, I can't yeah. know that. All I know is that he got the points that he needed to for the team at this one. And he's obviously MVP. I mean, yeah, just, I'm glad we're ending with max because he was the highlight of the U S team and fucking goddamn right. He was like, I mean, the best hope for the 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 U.S. team going into Beth Page is that the European team is still hung over from their celebrations. <laughs> uh, that's our best chance. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Ryder Cup, best fucking golf event of the biannual calendar. I don't know how you would phrase it, but you could. I mean, you just say it. it's the best golf event. That that's yeah. what it is. It's the best golf event. And I'm always going to be fired up to watch it, even when it feels like it's uh, a surefire, you know, sealed deal. I still was able to make it interesting for myself on Sunday. And I mean, I'm already counting the days before Bethpage. I mean, it's a terrible golf course with horrendous fans that I'm going to feel super embarrassed about being, a, you know, on the same side as. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you for listening, folks. This has been another Out of the Rough Golf podcast. You're a golf sicko if you're listening to this still. Thanks for listening. Peace.